What's happening, weirdos? Uh, sorry for the low audio quality here on the intro. I'm traveling this week, so I don't have my fancy nice boy microphone. Uh, so apologies, but the episode sounds great, and the episode is great, and the episode is with Seth Green, who is wonderful. Uh, we met shooting a sketch uh, for the James Corden show. We hit it off, and I'm so glad that he took the time to make it wonderful and weird, uh, and I'm excited to share it with you. I'm also excited to see you guys in person, on the road. If you're hearing this the day it came out, I'm going to be in Orlando this weekend. All of these dates include the incredible Laura Bites, who is opening for me on this tour, the Silly Silly Fun Boy Tour. The dates coming up are Orlando, or <laughs> Orlando, uh, Brea, California, Oxnard, California, Nashville, Tennessee, St. Louis, Missouri, Cleveland, and then Houston. More are being added every week. So check PeteHolmes.com for tickets to all of those. As you know, and I hope you're not feeling stressed. Some people get stressed about the holidays. It is the holidays. <laughs> but if you're looking for uh, gift ideas, I can't steer you wrong with the things, the products that have changed my life every day for the better for the past uh, numerous, numerous years. Uh, they're called the Pete's Picks. As you guys know, I don't do ads for things that I don't actually use and actually love. First and foremost is Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil, Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil, which is made of hemp, one of our great plant allies. They use science to remove the THC. THC is obviously what gets you stoned when you smoke marijuana, but this is not smoking, this is not an intoxicant. This is hemp, remove the THC, leave the body and brain beneficial CBD. I know we've heard a lot about CBD. It's everywhere. This is the only CBD I know that is grown in Denver, grown in America for human consumption. Uh, it's not going to be a rope or a pair of weird hippie shoes or maybe medicine for your body. It's only made for medicinal purposes. For me personally, speaking anecdotally, it is a wonderful mood elevator, an incredible anxiety reducer, helps me relax, helps me focus. It's sort of whatever I'm trying to do, it helps me ease and flow into what I'm trying to do. If I'm trying to fall asleep, helps me with that. If I'm trying to focus and bear down and work, it helps me uh, blur out some of those distractions and ease and flow with what I'm doing. So it is a wonderful plant ally. I swear by it. I take it almost every single day. And I like the original formula. It's a little bit more expensive, but you can literally just take a few drops for that happy, healthy CBD glow. They also make bombs, which are incredible to get hemp on you topically for soothing the skin. I have friends that swear by this stuff for many, 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 many reasons. And I'm always happy to meet weirdos who say that it's making their life better as well. So wonderful gift idea for people who you don't know what to get them. Go to cwhemp.com slash weird. Use promo code KEEPITCRISPY19 and you will get 10% off. And fill somebody's stocking. <laughs> that sounds sort of erotic. The other is on it. On it is a new, I'm sorry, on it makes a nootropic called Alpha Brain. Alpha Brain is like fish food for your ideas, for your noggin, for your creativity, for your language skills, for your memory, for your focus. It's clinically proven to help with memory and focus. And for the past five, maybe more years, I haven't done a podcast, I haven't done stand-up, I haven't written a script, I haven't even gone on a date without taking 15, uh, 15 minutes prior, two or three alpha brain pills. Sometimes I also take it in the powdered form, I find that gets into my blood a little bit quicker. I love it. 
anything that I'm doing creative, anything that I'm doing that involves my brain, even if it's just reading a book, it doesn't have to be me doing uh, making the output. If I'm just trying to remember something that I am consuming, even if it's a movie, I like taking Alpha Brain. Sometimes in the middle of the day, I'm like, something's wrong, something's off. I don't feel as sharp. I don't feel as present. I don't feel as alive. It's because I forgot to take my Alpha Brain. And I go and I take it. I always have it in my pockets of my jackets. I have it in my car. I have it in my carry-on. I always have a bottle nearby because it really, really makes a difference and has improved my life drastically. The best thing you can do, I, I forget to mention one of the other points that I always say, it's not a stimulant, it doesn't make you jittery, it, uh, it, uh, it just helps you use your brain, but you can sleep on it, that's an important point. Go to onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird, and you will get 10% off your order and show your support of this podcast and possibly cross somebody off your uh, old holiday gift list. The final Pete's pick for this uh, wonderful show is Kachava. I am on the road right now. I am traveling currently with my Kachava. Kachava is a plant-based, superfood, high-protein drink mix that is basically a meal replacement. It's as close as I've come to a meal and a pill, like they had in the Jetsons or any futuristic thing. It is incredible. It is fast. It is healthy. It is what I always tell people who are curious about eating more plant-based nutrition and more superfoods. I always steer them towards Kachava. It's a wonderful place to start, but even if you're already familiar with it, it's a wonderful thing to add into your nutrition routine. It's 100% plant-based. It's got omega-3s with chia seeds and flax seeds, both in the bag. Eight superfoods in the bag. 17 greens and veggies in the bag. Gluten-free, no gluten in the bag. Soy-free, no soy in the bag. No artificial sweeteners, no preservatives. It's got 1,000 milligrams of adaptogens. It's got 24 grams of plant-based protein, 9 grams of plant-based fiber. And here's the thing. It's actually delicious. This isn't weird, crunchy, hippie, health food. This is something that everybody I've given it, given it to, they love it. It's got powdered coconut milk in it, which makes it creamy, mixes with the chocolate, tastes like a milkshake. It's got just enough coconut nectar in there, which is a low glycemic sweetener to be sweet. And delicious. It's good enough to make just with water, although I like to make it sometimes with almond milk, frozen strawberries. Tastes like a chocolate strawberry milkshake that keeps you full, happy, and healthy for hours. It's incredible. Feel amazing. Feel a nutrition high. Feel a nutrition overload. And get some cachava in your life. Or give it to somebody for Christmas and make hot cachava on Christmas morning? You could. 20% off is what they give you. Go to K-A-C-H-A-V-A Kachava.com slash weird and you'll get 20% off your order. All right, guys. Hope to see you in Orlando, Brea, Oxnard, Nashville, St. Louis, Cleveland, or Houston. Go to PeteHolmes.com for tickets to come see me do live stand-up. In the meantime, enjoy my chat with the wonderful, charming, and hilarious Seth Green. Get into it. I want you to say the thing you said. We're rolling. We're rolling. Are we rolling? But um, it started just like this. This is casual does down. Anybody, does anybody wear the headphones? I do. Okay. Oh, okay. Are you kidding me? I think it comes I from. Always sort of distrust the people that do. Uh, it's just from years of doing voiceover. I yeah, think that I'm, I'm the most comfortable uh, knowing uh, my volume or my pitch or how something's playing. How you sound? Yeah. I don't think there's any place I love. Well, that's exi- that's generous. Is this a sauna? Come on, man. You're hitting all the hits. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Did, did this come as a prefab installation? Like They, the clear light people, 
who I'm pretty sure, to this day, if you mention this podcast, will give you a discount. Really? Yeah, infraredsaunas.com, or just Google infrared sauna. It's going to be the first one. But when you call and order it, mention this podcast, and I think they'll give you like 600 bucks off if you want one. And they have a service that they'll put it together. I couldn't have, I couldn't have built that. What am I, of Nazareth? <laughs> That'd be super impressive. That's like uh, all the dads the night before Christmas yes. trying to assemble some. Well, it Ikea looks like that. a 50s dollhouse. That it really Don does. Draper built for uh, <laughs> Betty. Uh, sorry, oh, boy, I haven't watched it in so long. I forgot her no, name. Uh, Betty's Sally. Correct. Yeah, Sally Beth Draper. As but everybody called her Betty. No, that's the mom is Betty. Oh, who are you talking about? The daughter. The daughter is Kiernan Shipka. Is that her name? The actress's name. Yeah, she's on uh, Sabrina now. Yeah, she's all. It makes me uncomfortable when when child star. Well, you were kind of a child star, and now you're a babe. I started acting when I was a little kid, so I've had this experience my entire You've been sexualized. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wow, well, the boys have a different path that's, than that's any true. any that's girl true. in the business, though. But I, that that is a weird thing. I've just had to get accustomed to over time. Is any person that I meet as a kid is eventually going to go through this whole process of becoming a person? Yeah. Um, and I've seen so many examples of it with young girls, both uh, actresses and models and pop stars. You, they, they start as a kid and they've got something and then you watch their teenage adolescence. And it's, yeah. it's made much worse now by social media and stuff. But, but even watching uh, Christina Aguilera go through her I remember 30 that. phase and everyone was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this I is happening. I remember that with Fiona Apple too. Yeah. Fiona Apple put out that video where she was like kind of slinking around. I believe the yeah. verb is slinking. I think it is, yeah. She was slinking. It was just sexy. And I, I want to be like very an, clear. an American apparel ad. It, totally. <laughs> and I am the father of a daughter, and I'm already pre-prepping. Like, I'm not going to be some fucking cliche that thinks he owns or should be made uncomfortable by his daughter's sexuality, right? Uh. That being said, I am a little bit guilty with Sari Beth Draper, Sa- Sa- yeah, Sally Beth Draper, that um, when she went on to the the witch show, I got a little bit. Um, I was like, "But I know you as a child. I watched yeah. you grow up." That is the burden of being an adult: is you just witness everybody else's. That's right, growth, and then they start dying. Yeah, I'm not that, trying to be funny. I'm no, like, none taken. You, That's like, exactly. Everything's like, no. like Steve Martin has this quote where he goes, "You make all these cancer jokes, and your friends start dying." And I was like, "That's the wisdom of like a longer life. You start to kind of see." It's not someone else. It's somewhere else. It's, it starts becoming well, us. And it's perspective, too. Because when I was a teenager uh, learning to drive, I'd like drive all over the neighborhood really yeah. fast yes. and, and be dangerous Dude. and also not give a shit about being dangerous. And then all of a sudden, yep. you see some parent like pull their child out of the street and give you a, a, a yep. degrading look like, how could you do this? And as a teenager, you're like, ah, go fuck yourself. You were never young. And, and then, then it's you. And then you're suddenly like 25 or you have nieces or whatever. And, and suddenly you're like, hey, quit, quit driving so fast in the street, you psycho. This is the big, a big point I make on the show all the time, but I love making it is like we all need to like be converted without the conversion experience. Mm-hmm. Like I always say, Green Book, he becomes not racist because he goes on a road trip with a, with a black man, right? Oh, I, didn't, I didn't see it, but I saw the previous. Spoiler. Yeah. I'm Damn pretty it. sure that's in the Is that preview. what happens? Fuck. You know, we all learn life lessons in these, you know, you're trapped in a situation and then you change and or you have kids and then you become more sensitive about driving stuff we all we all could do better if we would just take time to imagine what it might be like to be very old or to know sick people or to have children or to be young you can also cut the young people some slack but let's let's keep it safe yeah i think we've done enough it is very. Would you say keep it crisp. I'm just yeah. kidding. That's how we end. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, this was this was great. Thanks so much. 
I feel like we solved it. This is on Quibi. Oh. It's only it's six only four minutes. minutes. Yeah, it's a four-minute. Four this is the first Quibi podcast that we've already gone over. <laughs> so thank you so much. I did a Quibi show, and I saw on the cameras they had the outline of the iPhone, like for the frame. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? I do, yeah. They, sometimes we'd have the letterbox for the widescreen, and now you have another inlay or overlay for people watching on their phones. I was like, this is really the future. I do remember that moment. Um because I was alive and super into music when the whole transition in music happened, when it went from physical CDs and an entire corporation with yeah. A&R people to just being about a first-person exchange where the, the acts themselves are promoting their own concerts. And yeah. I, it's, it's just I remember a, that, too. It's just a weird transition. I remember people talking about no one's going to pay a dollar for a song, same as uh, actual filmmakers saying no one's going to watch a movie on your phone and it really yeah it's it's just your own perspective because when you're a kid all you want is to own everything you want things that are yours you want something that that you can hold up and say this is what defines me yeah Um, which is why i think facebook became so popular because it's basically a virtual teenage bedroom that you could invite someone else's website Right. <laughs> SethGreen.com? Fuck off. I yeah. want me.com. Yeah. Is that a but, storm but it shadow is... tattoo? It is. Oh, look at you. Without a black border. They're pretty impressive, yeah. Because, Seth, so you have the... Well, so I love... It's storm uh, shadow and Ninjas, guys. obviously. Yeah. And uh, the best thing about this tattoo... You mean is... obviously just because everybody does? Well, I mean, you've seen my parkour, you know. <laughs> You're pretty familiar with all of my katana skills. Um <laughs> I'm one of the Ooh, pe- not sword skills. Yeah, one of the, yeah, one of the rare people that yeah. that works with both size and a bow staff. Oh so. wow, you got all three. <laughs> you get nunchucks in there. You're all four. I, I mean, I like nunchucks, but I was never able to perfect playing, playing ping pong with them. So I thought yeah. I'm a failure at this. Nunchucks are sort of the hack. Like everybody like nunchucks. Did you did you have all that stuff when you were a kid? Oh yeah, yeah. We'd go to New Hampshire. There'd be some risky store where we'd buy wooden chain linked fucking real yeah. nunchucks yeah and the guy would just be like don't try to leave the state or something like they'd be don't fly with these or some Good vague warning there. but it was just here you go children we had size yeah if we had sharp if we knew how to sharpen metal we would have had sharp size one of my uh, best friends growing up this this kid that i went to summer camp and, and youth group with for several years he bought a set of throwing knives and there were six of them in the set and they were all weighted oh and we God. just spent Days, months, months, them just throwing them into at trees. trees. Yeah, that's what we did Didn't with ninja stars. Yeah, and we had one friend who was really strong who could re- could get it like halfway into the tree. That's so impressive. they were real fucking. Well, I'm yeah. I'm using kid memory. It was probably like no, he could throw are, it hard enough to stick. And we these were all metal and sharp and dangerous. If and you that, sharpened them, that just is the time that we <laughs> we grew in. up in a time everyone was smoking in front of us. Yeah. When I started working at Bennigan's, there was a smoking section. Yeah. That's how I feel. Talk I started, about Sally uh, Beth Draper. I feel old because I had to work with this. And the clubs, everyone was smoking. For sure. Comedy clubs. I, uh, I started taking trains to New York from Philadelphia when I was seven years old. And they had an entire car that was a smoking car. Wow. And my mom still smoked at that point. So I'd have to sit in that fucking car with her. You'd go in the smoking car with yeah. your mom? Yeah. This well, is I- why you have that great voiceover voice. <laughs> I don't mean to promote smoking. But that's well, you don't get to be Janis Joplin without a lot of whiskey. Oh, my God. Can't we just be grizzled in our dreams? Well, but back on that uh, ninja thing, I became obsessed. I saw that movie Blind Fury with Rucker Hauer where he was a, a homeless guy with a, with a wooden walking stick and then he clacked it open and it's a fucking uh, ninja sword. 
Oh, and I became shit. obsessed with that idea. Wow. To the point that I, I went to several different um, uh, specialty shops in Chinatown in New York until I was able to find a, a, sword. a walking cane that opened to revealed a shitty sword, but a sword nonetheless. I was in a dinner theater production where the big twist... I was the butler who was solving the case, uh-huh. and at a certain point in the show, I grabbed the cane, and everyone was like, how could he kill him with a cane? And I grabbed the cane, and I was like, it's too blunt, and as I pulled it, it revealed that there was a sword inside. That is like the ultimate irony of having the butler solve it, as opposed to ah, doing it. Ah, there you go. Although I guess it, it takes us right to Clue, where in fact the butler lays out exactly what happened. Could never get into Clue. Really? You know when people are like, you'll love Clue? When, whenever I go into something and people are like, you're going to love it, I don't know why. There's part of me that's like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. Is, is that an I'm internal hardened. thing? Like, where just someone advising you about something is offensive? Maybe. <laughs> because I start looking at it through the lens of like, why did they think this was me? I remember hearing uh, Trey Parker sort of abstractly talk about that with respect to something like Family Guy. Everyone said, oh, you must love Family Guy. And yeah. he was like, why? Because I make a politically subversive cartoon or a- animated, yeah, animated show. show. Do, do you think that I would like this other? That's right. Yeah. You and know, it, it goes back to kids want to own things and they want to be individuals. So yeah. when someone was like, I think it was like a Christopher Guest movie and I didn't quite understand Christopher Guest. So then I watched the whole thing and I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I thought improv had to be, like, whip smart all the time, mm. like the sharpest line. And he, his style is obviously a little bit more like, we'll, we'll find it, you know? And then it is brilliant. Yeah. But the first time I saw it, I was like, fuck you. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, imp- they're improv, though, especially with, you know, something like Spinal Tap or uh, Guffman. It, it is... I think it was Best a, in Show. I started with Best in Show, though, which you shouldn't do. Oh, yeah. I don't know I if like that's, where, if that's where you start. I like it. Yeah. But, but their improv in general is a <clears throat> deeply textured character yeah, work. That's like, right. It's the same as um, like the second season of Key and Peele. All of a sudden, they were doing sketches, but they were doing this deep, rich character work yeah. where, where the, the subtlety... Yeah. Of the things that they were playing, it was right. so apparent. I, I was know really you impressed by that. And I still liked Whose Line Is It Anyway. No disrespect to I Whose Line too. Is It Anyway. But that. I'm loving Ryan Stiles and Colin Moggery. And then I go into Best in Show and I'm like, get to it. Pick up the phone and pretend it's something else. <laughs> so like, I went in with a hard heart. But you were, you were watching A Hobo with a Night. How did you get to that? Somebody told you to watch something? Uh Somebody told me to watch. I don't know how we got on that. I think we were matter. just talking just about improv. Just yeah. burn it up. Yeah, this is us. This is us solving the world's problems. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna leave here with a bunch of mobilized charity work. I want you to know, though, the reason I said no black ta- border on your tattoo, yeah. was because I almost I when I got divorced, like a lot of people, I thought maybe now I'll get a tattoo, and I was like, the mm. only tattoo I've ever wanted, and for a while I carried specs on it in my wallet. In case I ever got really drunk and ended up getting a tattoo, was that tattoo? The that's tattoo you have. That's fucking amazing. It's fucking amazing. Well, so it and is. And the tattoo artist said you can't because the red. This is not a redhead joke. Will it bleed yeah. into the pigment in your skin? Totally. I took that risk because I had. It has to be right. Well, and I. I also like. I don't mind it fading. There's something about, because my skin is so pale. The contrast of this bright red makes it very unique, and the yeah. look of it is pleasing to me. Um, and also because I have freckles, they've kind of degraded the integrity of some of the, the red. And so it's made. Oh, it, it looks cool. Look like it. You look like an old toy. Yeah. 
Yeah. You look like the toy that's, you Isn't know, that been out of the box a little bit. Well, the upside about this tattoo is, you know, in the comics, it served a very specific purpose of letting all of the um, disbanded brothers of this ninja fraternity find one another and recognize <laughs> that they were trained under <laughs> the same master. You know what I'm saying? Fraternity. And so when I meet other people, and I've met four other people with this tattoo, when well, we notice each other, it's like, ah, oh, shit, we know something yeah. about one another. Because only the people who are meant to know what this is recognize it. That's and right. Then, and then anybody else is. I didn't like that the movies came out and made the tattoo less cool. I'm not saying no, it was, you, it was awful because they, it they went put from it on a everything. tattoo from a toy yeah. that like you and me like still perfect appreciation for it. I saw it on a guy that worked at the Barnes and Noble in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and I was like, <laughs> "That's my tattoo." Yeah, so he's in your fraternity. For but sure. then the movie came out and they did put it on everything, and the movies were. They weren't for us. They weren't making it for us. They were making yeah. it for a new generation. Well, it was the use of this symbol as a, you know, it's literally on everything. It was yeah. on like people's chests and on their motorcycles and on yeah. their vehicles. Yeah. And it's, it's not. It's it was not, branding. Yeah, it's not what it's for. This is this is a secret form of identification oh, for yeah. for only the people that would recognize it. Yeah. And to that degree, it still serves its purpose because ninety nine percent of the population did not see that movie or give a That's shit right. about it. That's yet. right. So you're and good. So, yeah, I haven't had to worry about it. You're golden. But I did think it was gonna ruin the effect, and I had already gotten the tattoo as the movie came out. I, like, I looked up oh, what no. it meant. Yeah, you know what I mean. I do. It's the it's from the I Ching. Which is um, yep. uh, ancient Chinese divination, so like tarot cards, but way older. And this particular one, um, what's the number of? I think it's like sixty-two or sixty-seven, but it means before completion. So it's it's the path that you're on. And people always say the journey is the important thing. So I thought, regardless of the the comic book mythology it's of still it, still cool. It, it's a it's a a mark that that I do relate to and and identifies me. And so when I'm able to. Whenever anybody asks me about it, I just say it's that. It's the I Ching. Right. Because it is. It's the truth. Right. And anyone who needs, ne- who knows. Those who know, that, no yeah. explanation is yeah. necessary. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I read a watered down version of it, and it was like, with every ending, there's a new beginning. That's what mm-hmm. some, it was badly interpreted. And I was newly divorced, and I was like, well, I remember Craig Baldo, who I was living in this place at the time. He was like, well, now you got to get it. Yeah. So I almost had that tattoo, man. That's, that's so fun. crazy. I got to meet uh, Larry Hama. Uh, who's the guy who wrote the comics and oh, found wow. this symbol and created that mythology? Um, Whoa. And he jokes, you know, that he was essentially writing a uh, an animated toy catalog <laughs> for several years. Yeah. Um, but we did a joke on Robot Chicken where one of our characters is uh, like the Grinch steals Christmas or something similar to that, and he's climbing up a snowy cliff and he's getting delusional and is. Um, as he's freezing to death and he's like begging the heavens for any kind of inspiration and Larry Hama shows up in a in a thought bubble and I was like, let's see if Larry would do this. Let's go to whatever he needs. And so my partner and I were in New York and we <laughs> went to his apartment and he showed us a bunch of his sketchbooks and stuff and we filmed this thing on my phone and then put it in the fucking show. Hama? It's, Did people yeah. get it? Maybe, but it almost... <laughs> you didn't care! Not with those kind of jokes. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll what did Hama a- say to the freezing Grinch? He says, uh, no, to the kid. So the kid is like, oh, God, I need some inspiration. Like, I'm going to die out here. And uh, Larry Hama pops up and he goes, oh my God, yeah, you're creating Larry Hama. And he goes, ah, but believe in yourself, kid. You, you can do it. And he goes, not, not the most original <laughs> words of encouragement I uh and he goes, what do you want? I was basically writing a, 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 an animated toy catalog. Yes. Go fuck yourself. You want to read my unfinished novel? And he's like, no, thanks. 
<laughs> Even in death, I'd rather just freeze than yeah. read an unfinished novel. Well, this, you said there's no ending. There's, there's zero satisfaction in this journey. Did you have hooded Cobra Commander, the toy? Pete, you okay. don't you don't want to know how deep it goes. Did with you me buy it so you could lift it up? So much I did. So much worse than that. So I after, I wanted to see it. It was maybe '83 that they did that promotion, and I sent in all my proofs of purchase to me get too. the mail away hooded Cobra Commander, and then of course. I had to rip that apart because there is no face under it. It's just like a shitty nub. Didn't they know we were all doing that? I don't. I don't think so. But over time, you you tore it. You broke it. I did. Yeah. I, I, I regretted it. I just kind of realized that it was all. It was a thick, solid purple. I got into customizing toys really young and breaking them apart in all kinds of ways. And as soon as I figured out that GI Joe's had a a central screw well that would release the structure of the entire. Is that thing, what the back does? Yep. If you pull that apart, you it basically blows the whole thing apart. You shut up. Yeah. And then you can put them together as you see fit? That's what I did. I started like rebuilding them. That first. is robot chicken. It, it, you were roboting chickens before the show. Yeah, this show didn't come from nowhere. No, came, I know. It came from like my deep <laughs> knowledge and painful understanding of toys. Don't shame me for putting it together just now. <laughs> So you would unscrew and do what to customize? Well, I started that when I was like eight years old. I worked on a movie and I had a bunch of G.I. Joe toys. And one of the sound people gave me a set of uh, micro screwdrivers that fit these micro screws and the characters. And I just started with that. I just started pulling them apart and then rearranging them. That's, but it takes a special brain that isn't – like if you were very particular and wanted things pristine – you have a different kind of brain. You're like, I'd like to see what, what, where the boundaries are. I loved the creativity of being able to recombine them in any shape. Yeah. I liked Legos and things like that. And I also liked the possibility of creating my own characters and then yes. manifesting them into a toy form. Yeah. And so I, I, got, I got deeper with that beyond just pulling them apart. I got into uh, my parents when I was 12 gave me a hobby drill. And I started doing a lot of grounding and sanding. And You're like, well, he's in SAG. Give him a drill. <laughs> kind of. And I think, I think back He makes more that. than you, Vern. Your dad's Vern in this. <laughs> no, he can have the drill. That is, that is fair. I, <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't think they thought about it because I cut both of my hands open regularly with, with the drill knives and with the drill. Oh, no. I electrocuted myself several times. <laughs> What? Just plugging it in and not really understanding the way conductive current works. But you were paying out. Yeah. As a youth. Yeah. Which le- is pretty wild. I learned a lot. Did you put a Destro on a woman? What are we doing? Oh, man. I, I couldn't it. handle the girl characters. Any story where a girl character came in, their little G.I. Joe hands were just touching their butts and stuff. It, was, it, just, <laughs> it, just, it just turned into love stories. <laughs> oh, I did a lot of romantic interaction between my, <laughs> yeah. my characters. When I think I, was I invented young. the 69. I think that was me. It was like, <laughs> what if I did this with my shiny silver head? Well, my sister had uh, you know a lot of Barbies or couldn't handle gals it. or any of that stuff. That was one of my biggest dreams was to be alone with a barbie i I don't mean i would have sex with i just wanted to touch plastic boobs that's as close as i was getting to anything for i didn't know at the time a decade that is funny (laughs) i think i was way more um i sought all that out you know what do you mean sex yeah all of it i started i i saw you were in movies when you were seven yeah is i don't mean to assume but i mean you were more in the world, you knew more people than I did. I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I did. I and I, and the bulk of my life was spent around adults, and so I had to 
I had to learn how to conduct myself in that way. I had to, yeah. I had to have a level of maturity. That, you were like, I interviewed Blake Griffin and I was like, you're 20, what? And uh, he was like, well, you know, talking about like, it's just being like very centered. And I was like, when yeah. I was your age, I was dry humping my mattress. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand <laughs> why you're so composed. Even not, this is not a shock show, but even if I was trying to get him to overshare about something, he was yeah. just always very good and focused and i was like you're so young to be this way but it's similar he grew up fast you grew up fast yeah well and you're for for me i wanted to perform from a very young age and i i was certain and i realized how fortunate that is to to have that kind of certainty and so everything i did was in support of that everything that i learned was about having better opportunities as a performer about where did you get it you did, your parents aren't actors no they're both teachers and it's weird. There's no one in my family that's in entertainment. So really? it is, it is an, a kind of anomaly that I, that I was born with this in, intent, with wow. this assuredness. But I, I realized what a gift it is because all of the kids I grew up with, it, it took them even years after college to oh, yeah. decide no, what they want to be. No, I think the greatest be. thing is to know what you want to do and to be able to do it. I think that's one of the sweetest fruits in it, life. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not without constant urgent effort <laughs> constant urgent effort yeah. is the name of your book it is yeah. constant well, actually, urgent effort if i ever write a book it will be called my life on apple boxes that's hilarious <laughs> very inside it and is we're talking about manhattan apple boxes. yeah exactly <laughs> the tall way <laughs> um but where do you go and i'm sure you've talked about this a lot forgive me I also, this is not jealousy. When I was seven, I'm shooting films. I'm putting smoke bombs in my G.I. Joes and yeah. trying to do stop action, robo chicken style. I'm not just saying that because it's you. I mean, that's what I was doing. I'm having them talk. I'm writing little scripts and all this stuff. That's a big jump from that to being in a mood. What do they do? Take you to the mall? Was there a casting call at the mall? What do you mean? How did I get? Yes. How did I start working? Do, yeah, it's a big jump from a seven. Every seven year old who yeah. says they want to be in the NBA or they want to be a movie star. It is a crazy. What happened? It's a it's a it's a crazy convergence of circumstance. I had a um, my godfather's brother was in radio in in Philadelphia, and he recommended me to an on camera training school. In, uh, in, in Philadelphia. Because what were you doing that everybody diagnosed your need for speed? Uh, I was <laughs> saying it out loud all the time that I need to be doing You were like this. a reincarnated, like a Buddha. You were going, I need to be in the temple. Kind of. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I loved uh, <laughs> Seth, per- stop performing. saying cut at the end of dinner. <laughs> That's a wrap. Stop moving us all to one. Yeah. At the, at the stop end telling of this. me not to eat my meal because it won't look the same in the wide. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you know that? I'm not going to worry about this continuity. <laughs> let's just let's just eat our dinner. Um, I got to do stuff at, at summer camp. I think was the first time I really got yeah, to do it. That helped me too. I did improv uh, and stuff. You did summer camp. How, that, how old were you when that happened? Well, it was about seventh grade, sixth grade. Mm. Yeah, good age. But yeah. you're already, you know, winning Mom, Oscars. <laughs> hardly. No, no, no. I've never even been to that. I've never even been to that ceremony. No, I understand. I hear it's it's uh, wonderful. <laughs> I thought you were going to say hollow. No, everyone sad. looks incredibly comfortable in I that don't event. Know. There's and... a reason they cut away from the losers, Seth. <laughs> There's a feeling. I've never been, but I've been to other award shows. I did not like it. There's a lot of sweaty desperation. It can't. I I've found a real calm in it. I've gotten to go to the Emmys a bunch of times now, and I've been I've got I've been lucky enough to be nominated for stuff and lucky enough to to win things uh, in that in that field. And 
the conclusion that I've come to is as much as it's a cliche to say it's an honor to be nominated. It, it really is to continue to get the invitation to this dinner. It's like a business prom, right? Yeah, so at the end of prom. your year, um, you gather together with all your peers. There's a dance. You get to take <laughs> pictures. Everybody wears a suit. There's a dinner. Um, this is from you know what I'm saying, <laughs> and if you and some people win superlatives and other people just get to right. Come some to people the party. get most likely to do another season of Marvelous Miss Maisel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but for the most part, you're just there amongst your peers. And if you don't make it a, a pressurized competition, if instead you say, "Oh, this is the one time a year that we Can all we get bring together." Bring it back to the I Ching. Yeah, it's the journey. It's not about the award. It is, and the I Ching has done us right, GI Joe, and yeah. otherwise. <laughs> that's, that's exactly no, right. Knowing is half the battle. Oh my Jesus, GI <laughs> <G>. Jesus. <laughs> I've thought about that so many times. There was a point, uh, like in our second or third season, I'm that just Hasbro. Say it must be a fun writers' room. It, it to can have be. room bits become. That's what I thought about Family Guy and. Robot Chicken was that like all these things, the funniest things in the, all the writers' rooms I've been as have always been the room bits, things mm-hmm. like GI Jesus. Right, you know, would <laughs> would print out cartoons and have all these inside gags. Never made the show. It yeah. feels like Family Guy and Robot Chicken equally are like something that really made you guys laugh, and then you did it. I haven't gotten to. I, I've never spent much time in the Family Guy writers' room. Um, yeah, I didn't mean to they, assume you're just on the show. Yeah, but yeah. but they also it's like thirty writers broken up into four different rooms, and they. But all I have heard that, that there's like one there's like a cutaway room where they're just yeah. coming up with funny fucking cutaway. I think it's that sounds impressive. Pretty silly times. It is if you're and in I, the mood for nude. I think nude. they mix and match a lot yeah. of those rooms yeah. from time to time, and all of if those. If you're in writers. trouble, you get put in the story room. <laughs> I don't know. They're in a vault. I liked the vault episode. I think uh, that this one is going to be about... Well, Family Guy also does this amazing thing where whatever the first few minutes are about has nothing to do with the rest of the yeah, episode. Yeah. There's some epic setup that isn't at all yeah. what the show is that going to be. just burned to the ground. It's kind of impressive. No, I know. But that's what I mean. It seems very free in that way and very fun. Well, the, the robot writer's room can be a lot of fun, especially when we're scripting, because then it's everybody throwing out ideas. But I think for the writers that are just generating ideas each day, they, they spend a lot of time working in silence. It seems they oh, don't really. Yeah, everyone is just sort of focused on coming oh, it's up more with like pitches. late night, like they're at their desks coming up with their things to present. I've heard that or more like SNL. I've never gotten to do SNL. Didn't you, did you write on SNL? For I a didn't know, but you've spent, spent time over there. You just know a lot of those I folks. Pals. I have pals there. Yeah. yeah. That, that to me is like a business Emmys too. It's always very tense. <laughs> I remember when Spade did his like farewell show on SNL, and he said something like, uh, "Bye-bye." Uh, cl- cl- <laughs> close to it, he was like, uh, "And I'd love to say that it's all, uh, you know, been love and and support, but it's not. It's mostly mind games." It's <laughs> <laughs> not like David to be chatting and brutally honest. I love that guy. That's so fun. Uh, so yeah, that's interesting. They were, I, I've learned today. I've learned something today. You were telling the story of, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves going from on acting. Oh, when you said you had a, uh, an uncle in radio I, yeah. in my mind, I was like, well, this is a dead end. Kind Why of. is he including this? But he did. He knew a he, way to get you. Into he recommended the, me to an on-camera training school where I got to go. Sounds like a scam. Now I'm it, worried about really you does. now, but you basically, they have a camera and you perform commercials or scenes. I did something very similar. And then they show I was you in the my thirties. Yeah. 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 So, so there is something. And amazing. then you audition for an agent. 
I that's did. what I did at the end. I did the Nick Kroll told me about it. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm just giving him a shout out. I was like, "How do you do it?" Because he had an agent, and you, you know that feeling. Do you remember that feeling? Yeah, You're of like, course. You were six. How do you get into this business? Yeah. And he was like, "Well, you can take this class." Brooke and Mary, Brooke and Mary, do the class if you're in New York. It it did feel. It felt possible to me. I don't know how else to explain that. I was certain that I was doing the right thing. In reincarnation. Well, I got to. I it's got to. Fun. I got to do stage stuff at summer camp. Yeah. Um, before I was even a camper, and I they barely trusted me with anything. But I got to do at one summer camp. I got to do the interstitials of a talent show. They all thought it would be hilarious for the teenagers who were putting on the talent show to be governed by this six-year-old. Yeah. And uh, we did it. I, re- I remember it so clearly. It was like a Star Trek type sketch where we were traveling from planet to planet and exploring the best of their talent pool. And so I was the captain and it was ironic because I was just this little kid and I would say, oh yes, we're on our way to the Sanscara quadrant and we're going to, we're going to see Johnny Lee and David Johansson and oh, whatever wow. it was. So. Wow. It was really funny. And in those moments where I was performing, like I even went up on a line and had somebody prompt me and we had to improv and I just felt alive in a way that I... You were home. I was like, this is what I do. Yeah. This is what I do. It is. And then then a year or so later, I got to... I convinced the kids at another summer camp, the drama program, to give me one fucking line in their their, uh, uh, semester end play. And it was. It was the last line of the play before the, the last big musical review. And I came out. I, we rehearsed uh, the whole thing. People putting on their costumes. Everybody getting into makeup. The five minutes till showtime, everybody. Like, curtain up in just a minute. Yeah. All of it, I was, I felt, I felt everything, everything in me vibrating on the correct frequency. And when I came out and said my line, I wasn't even nervous. And when we took our curtain call, I was, I was, I was overwhelmed with the certainty that that this is my purpose yeah yeah i wonder i only ask leading questions i wonder if you're like me i've had showbiz dreams my whole life i still do i think i had one the other night that i was hanging out with quentin tarantino oh. and just telling him how much i loved once upon a time in hollywood these are embarrassing me, me too by the way fucking great really movie. polarizing movie i was shocked to find really how many people didn't like it there's friends of mine whose opinions i absolutely trust whose uh artistic expressions are some of my favorites and they they hate the movie. What? I know. I don't understand. I don't understand it either. It's How old are they? Same age. What? Varying ages. Because lo- I was like, I said to uh, Katie, our nanny, uh, I was like, I loved it. And I don't know if she liked it, but I was like, I think maybe she didn't. For the purpose of the story, she didn't. But she's in her 20s. And she's, uh, so I'm like, I'm a 40-year-old dude. Of course, I love like a slow, sprawling. Yeah. Remember what LA must have looked like in the fucking I 70s? Did, I, I, I was I on board. All of that. But I also, I, I just loved this expression. I love Tarantino as a filmmaker. And I've always found him incredibly inspiring and, and impressive, both his dialogue and his storytelling and just the, the style of the filmmaking. But, yeah. but this particular thing which seemed to be about, you know, a man's struggle with his own value or purpose. And I've known Leo since he was like 13 years old. And so seeing him evolve into this unbelievably accomplished, like one of the greatest actors of our generation. And this performance. Well, he smoked it. Yeah, it's incredible. He smoked it. His performance. He sort of has like a stammer. That stammer wasn't in the script. (laughs) That was all DiCaprio. You know what I mean? Like he kind of did this like nervous. You know what I'm talking about? I do. The second time I watched it, I was even more tuned in to the choices he was making. I used to have a bit about it where I was like, I thought the director told the actors what to do. 
You you wish. You really do wish. Especially in TV. Sometimes you're lucky to even get a thumbs up at the end of a take. Or you're lucky to be told where to stand. I mean, that's sort of like the end of it. The but rest I, of it is you going, I think he might have a little bit of a stammer yeah. that we never make a big deal out of. Yeah. Like, I don't stutter. It's not the point. But there's just like a little bit, you feel like there's, it gives him this dimension that you're like, that's a real person. Most directors will not give you anything like that like i i made a movie why would they yeah right yeah i made a movie with woody allen and i was only 12 years old and i remember having to tell myself radio days Seth. it was yeah <laughs> but i had to tell myself over was and over again uh, he wasn't um, i had to tell myself over and over again that i was there on purpose that i got hired because yeah. what i was going to contribute was what the director wanted. wanted and so i shouldn't be fearful i shouldn't be insecure yes i should try everything yes and i would be told where the edges were but i was never given any like um uh, it was such basic stuff it's like get here faster or yeah. or this really confuses you yeah but it was never any detail i would say performance in, instructions in my career the most of the uh, direction i've gotten is pace can mm. you do it faster yeah faster <laughs> slower or slower yeah. That's uh, that's that's typically my direction on Robot Chicken. It's like it's all, it got louder. louder. We just need it louder. Yeah. M- one of my favorite things to say to actors, and it's it's so rude as an actor to say this to other actors, but I will just say, mean it, mm. mean it. You don't have to yell it, but you you mean it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. <laughs> mean it. Mean it. I would often. And I do not consider myself a master actor by any means. It's sort of new to me. I would often just go like, don't forget, um, you think this is happening. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Especially because when you're wearing a bunch of hats on set, you want to like get what you need. And you're thinking about the angles or you're thinking about the edit, which is a terrible thing to do when you're trying to act. Yeah. And you have to be like, no, this really matters to my character. And as my life gets less and less relatable, you have to go back. That's why it was nice that the show was about my life. I'd be like, no, this spot really matters to you. And you have to yeah. like tie it to something in my current life. That's what that means now. Yeah. It means I- like a day off with your wife and baby. That's how excited you are <laughs> about this open mic. And I'm like, okay, I got it. That is probably the hardest thing that I dealt with. I made a movie um, where I wrote the movie and directed it and then also starred in it like a fucking crazy person yeah who does that yeah um and the thing that i had the most issue with when i got onto set was my own performance um just because i was thinking about everything else thinking about all of the other actors giving giving everyone else what they needed um so that they could give me what i needed for the story drink while you pour but but me as the actor I realized from this experience just how much work I do between cut and action. Yeah. That I relatively denied myself on this experience. That's right. No, I I know exactly what you mean. You know what I'm saying? It's like when you sell a script, they give you like three months. I remember Mulaney said this to Uh me. He's like, you can write a script in two days. They give you three months so you have weeks where you're not working on it. But it's just sort of ruminating. And that's what you're doing between cut and the next action. Yeah. Is you're having some quiet time. Even yeah. to just consider subconsciously what, what did I do, do there? What am I going to do next? That's what right. is what is the truth of this moment? And that That's was right. the one thing that I that I I really took that away. Yeah, if I did it again, I would do it just a little differently. And didn't you just do a movie with Macaulay Smolkin? Yeah, that was uh, this movie. That's the movie that it's you the, were. It's the second movie I've done with him. Oh wow! Um, is that right? Is it only the two? Yeah, but I I because we made. Because he's a friend of mine for years now. That's so cool. Yeah. Do you have you ever met him? him in Paris? 
Uh, we did. Yeah, we went to we went and had Thanksgiving together. I guess the, I think that would be so cool. The same Thanksgiving we finished the movie. He had an apartment in Paris for a while. He's not there anymore. No, I, he gave it up. Recently. This isn't to tell all about. My, I know he's. <laughs> we had so much of Macaulay. You know what I mean? Have like you we, ever had him? No. Yeah, he, he would do this. He would just do a quid pro quo if you do his podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a fair trade. I'll it do is. A, a, a retweet for retweet. I fucking love that kid. <laughs> he he is endlessly surprising and one of the most well-adjusted people I've ever met. I I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I would want to know if he really said that the, the like Hollywood is murdering people and making shoes out of their skin and stuff <laughs> what yeah you you just don't know yeah i mean dude or I, is it like a meme i re- it was because i get quotes attributed to me in meme form that's so in, funny. in an almost uh, uh uh terrorist kind of way yeah yeah no i've had i know what you're talking about where something that bill murray didn't say was actually noam chomsky but <laughs> we put it on a picture from ghostbusters and i am not trying to be funny or disrespectful <laughs> but every once in a while i'll go down a wormhole about um, child stars in Hollywood, and if you ever get in a YouTube wormhole on that, I don't recommend it. But some of it is attributed to Macaulay being like, "I saw fucked up shit. People tried to get me to smoke crack. Uh. People tried to do this. Some some sexual stuff, and then some weird we kill people stuff." That's that's probably not true. Uh, although I will say that Mac has a fucking twisted sense of humor, and so he, he might also, have done that on purpose. He also he, he still believes he Bob in, Dylan did. He he believes in irony, and he also holds intelligent people accountable for m- making their own conclusions. And so, Interesting. Well, he, don't do that with me, baby. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but he'll put out provocative information just to let people try and. Well, you were it. you were a child star i was never a child star that's 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 the thing about it is i didn't become famous until i was in my 20s and so i was just able to successfully work and make a living from the time i was seven years old and so i got the experience of being a peripheral participant in a a child character actor i was you were a child working actor that's like my proudest badge too is that all of the casting people knew me and i could play a variety of roles you had to have gotten close I'm sure a couple times to like a Home Alone style thing. Yeah, there's a couple I I tested for. It was always it was always uh, Fred Savage and Jason Bateman were the guys who got oh really everything that I did That's or hilarious. everything that I went up for from um, Boy Who Could Fly and uh, oh, and the Boy uh, Who Could Fly. Yeah, if Savage is in that. I tested for that. Uh, Wonder Years I tested for. Oh wow! Um, and then with with Bateman it got it got it was like all of the teenage stuff that he was so great at. Um, and then, you know, as you get older, your types get so fine. Yeah. You're, you're, you're out of each other's range. Right. Um, that's really funny. Yeah. What was your, so the first movie seven where we were leading up to that. Oh yeah. I made a movie called the hotel, New Hampshire. How did it happen? Eight years old. I just auditioned. Oh, so, uh, I, I took that on camera training class and then got to audition for my manager who was the premier manager in Philadelphia and New Jersey. Uh, who had dozens of clients, anybody who came out of Philly or Jersey uh, was with this manager. And the the situation in New York for commercial auditions was freelance. They had all these, it's exactly like Mad Men, where they had an ad agency that represented a client and they would just have open calls for anyone. And so an agency would represent you for a particular audition and you could come and audition for everything. So I got a real education in how business and advertising worked from all of that experience. And because I took the train from Philly to New York every day, I was with all these commuting businessmen and all these different, (laughs) you know, professional categories. So I got this very weird 
like first person um, experience with all of these other types of businesses and business people. You mean talking to them and stuff? Yeah, I talk to all kinds of people. Because as Get an actor... The fuck in the car. Well, as an actor, I'm incredibly curious about what makes a person So you're a just person. a seven-year-old taking the train from Philly to New York yeah. again yeah. with your regular card, the yeah. card that you use every day, yeah. and then you're chatting up real-life fat alcoholic Don Draper. Um, <laughs> uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't look like ham if you live that way. There's a variety of businessmen, too. And most of them would get on the, the train in Jersey and, like, Trenton or Newark and then get into New York at the same time. And I'd see them sometimes on the, the 5 o'clock or the 6 if we were if we were running the <laughs> same would, round trip. You'd see them. You'd, you'd sync up, like, yeah. shopping carts in the grocery store. You'd keep kind of. seeing them. Yeah. And there you are looking at your sides. Or just dreaming about being an actor. I did a lot of reading on the trains, reading or sleeping, and or you homework. chat them up. Yeah, yeah. What would you ask them? Whatever. What do you do? How was your day? How's your day? Yeah. What's what were you? Well, doing? you had to be cute as a button, and you're alone. Oh no, I have my mom. You have I your didn't. Mom. I didn't start taking the train by myself until I was uh, almost f- fifteen. Okay, yeah. but still. I and I wasn't trying to say like someone was gonna. It wasn't a dark joke. I'm just no. Saying, I like, almost got kidnapped you, several times. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah, because I was so trusting and personable. Get the fuck out! And, and so there were several times that people Don't almost Macaulay like. Macaulay me. Is this a fake story? No, this is the truth. <laughs> this is the truth. Are you winding me up to go viral? That would have been a great idea. I should well, have come up with a better bit yeah. for this, but no, it's no. just the actual reality you of almost really being would? abducted dozens of times. Is that yeah. true? Yeah. What do you mean? Someone would be like, you like Nathan's hot dogs? I'm going to go get one and something terrible. Sort of. Something as simple as uh, me in some area, my mom is wherever. And the person is like, oh, I'll help you find your mom. And then suddenly we're walking out of the door of a place. Oh, no. Yeah. And then an adult or me is like, nah, I think I better go back inside. Or my parents suddenly is like, where are you going? Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay, so you start going in for these auditions for commercials. Yeah, I booked the first commercial I went on, which Get was in incredible. The car. Yeah. For what? It was uh, a uh, an industrial um, for RCA for a John Denver record. RCA. Yeah. R- Robot Chicken Association. <laughs> no, I think it's the uh, Recording Alliance, isn't that? I know the RCA Records with yeah. the dog. Yeah, exactly. His head. So the I same people that were like, "You won't spend ninety nine cents on a song," are like, "You will spend a penny on a thousand CDs." Remember, oh, that was the greatest those? scam ever. <laughs> oh my god, I would, I would just order those CDs. And it was then, like first month free, move. Yeah. first month free, rent free, first month. That doesn't mean the rent is free. That means you take the rent. So you the whole rent for the year subtract yeah. one month that's your monthly rent but you get it delivered to some abstract location and then you just move is that what you would do all the time oh my god yeah, I scammed I scammed publishers the, clearing what the, no the penny was, CDs all the time yeah wow that was you all the CDs that was penny. you I ruined it for everybody stealing music <laughs> <laughs> okay I have another question RCA we want to talk about that what did you audition for your the agent the big agent in Philly. Uh, it was a massive cattle call with hundreds of people in Huntington Valley at some uh, convention center or or hotel or something, and it was their 
ballroom and I waited three hours in a room. And the thing is, everybody watched everybody else audition, right? So there's a... What? Yeah, it was insane. No private room? No, it was a panel See, this table. could have happened at the mall. In the rewrite, it happens at the mall. Could have been. But it was... Uh, it, well, it, it, it was a testament to everybody's ability Sam. to both be quiet and you're, respectful. You're a great and podcast. Patient yes, or whatever. Is, oh, yeah? This is easy for uh, me. Thanks, man. I love this. Um, but I went into this room and I saw the manager and like the three associates and they're all behind a table and then everyone else is in a circle around them, you know, off of the dance floor. Oh, no. Um, and you watch each person get up and do their thing. And I was so small when I was like, I'm still not a big guy, but I was especially small when I was like six or seven years old. But I loved singing and I loved performing and I had no fear about talking to people or presenting myself. I was so hungry for it. Yeah. And so I, I got up and I sang a song, some goofy song that I'd learned at summer camp. And then she, she was like, all right, all right, all right, come here, come here. So I get up and she asked me a couple of questions. I have no idea what those questions were, but I made her laugh a couple of times. Um, and then, and then she said, so you want to do this? You want to go on auditions? And she said to my mom, are you going to take him to New York? Are you going to like, that's the real question, support this? Yeah. Are you, cause, cause I can get him working. I can get him working. She said there. Yeah. Yeah. And my Dad. mom, I know. And when we left, my mom was like, I'm sure she says that to everybody. Let's, let's not put too much. Don't get your hopes up. Wow, that, your mom was a good manager. Yeah, she did all right. Yeah, she was. She was. She was actually an incredible support and uh, and a solid, um, uh, like a like a North Pole for me in a lot of ways. She gave me great advice, but she also just encouraged me to do it. You know? Yeah, but she didn't go like we're in the money. She never there was nothing. Evil. She never wanted it for herself. She, yeah. In fact, that I found recently an interview we all did for some Philadelphia talk show when I'm like. I don't even think I'm eight years old. I'm so little. And my sister is on the show too because she was performing as well. Um, and they're asking my mom. And there was another child actress that was on there who had succumbed to all kinds of um, uh, sexual abuse and drug addiction. And she was coming from a place of like, keep your kids out of this business. It's not safe for them. Yeah. And uh, I went through that. You got to protect your children. And you can't, you can't be a stage mother. And my mom was, had this hands off. It was crazy to watch this interview of her. Mm. Um, you know, because thirty years later, you're like, I don't, I don't even remember this this person. Yeah, but she, she said, I don't. All I can do is get out of the way. Like I'm just trying to give him what he needs. He's so clearly well. That's why doing this. All they asked was, "Do you really want to do this? Yeah. Have you seen the Hollywood Complex? It's a really good documentary." No, but I lived in the Oakwood. For, you did, yeah, like four you summers. Lived it. Yeah. I was in that's that what the agents in that movie would ask the kids is like do you want to do this yeah and some of them would be like yeah i want to be an actor or a firefighter and it's just like <laughs> you were over there going like i'm in it to win it this is this is what i do yeah that's that's the hardest this is what I do. that's the most painful suffering that any performer endures though is that is that certainty and the like 99 percent of your time being unsatisfied yeah you, you get that minimal one percent well that's what makes that magic. scene where leo is, it, it, which is brilliant that, that you don't see the crew like it's the scene from the tv yeah. show he's shooting the pilot yeah and he kills it yeah and you're like oh right and he goes into his trailer and he goes rick fucking dalton and you're like I know that feeling where you remember yourself, where yeah. you were as good as you knew you could be. Oh boy, but I know that other feeling too. Where the fraud he, feeling? Where he comes into the trailer and he goes, <laughs> and he loses You don't even it. look like you prepared. And he, he, he looks at himself in the mirror and he goes, gonna, I swear to God, <laughs> if, you don't, 
if you don't remember your fucking lines, I'm going to put a bullet in your head yeah. tonight. I'm going to fill the the pool with your brain. Oh, my and God. And he goes, I, I fucking mean it. I felt and you it. get that he means it. I felt it so good. He's so great in that movie. I know. God damn. It's, it's, such it's an movie. incredible performance. It's such a good movie. Yeah. I, I watched it the second time on a plane. Still oh, yeah. great. First time I watched it properly at the Arclight. There's a shot out of the Arclight in the movie. Yeah. That's a fun feeling. I saw it at the Vista. And uh, and the very next day we went to Chili John's. We were like, that's so <laughs> just had fun. To, we were like, oh my God, we haven't been to Chili John's in a while. Let's go it get some fucking It made me want to go to El Compadre, the Mexican place. It yeah. just made me like LA too. I didn't know anything about the movie before I saw it. Me neither. So while I'm watching, and I know a lot about the Sharon Tate murder. One of my friends is obsessed with Manson and makes us go to El Compadre and made us go on that death bus tour. And I, um, you know, I've been past all of those houses so many times. I, so there's a point where I'm watching the movie and I'm like, oh my God, are we about to watch a fucking snuff film? Like, is this I was worried. a recreation I of this die. murder? And I was so satisfied yeah. with the spoiler. ending. Yeah, spoiler alert. Everybody should jump forward. I'm going to give it two minutes. I, I won't give it away, but I was <laughs> surprised by the reaction. I was surprised by Me how too. many people reacted poorly to the ending because i've always thought that this kind of movie especially from tarantino is par for the course he does some kind of historical situation reimagined and then creates a wish fulfillment for for anyone that would have been hurt or offended by the incident right Right. celebrate but i still didn't see it coming me neither i was like for sure he made it the first time i watched i was so nervous the whole movie and so it's actually better the second time because mm. you don't have to work. Like there's such a tension to it. They keep telling you the time and the day yeah. and you know that something bad happens. Yeah. And so literally anytime someone crossed the street, I, I felt so nervous <laughs> someone was going to get hit by a car. There was yeah. going to be some tragedy. And then it just goes a very different way. Interesting. Blah, blah, blah. No Tarantino was such a master of filmmaking. No, I know. Suspense and style. Yes. It's so funny. He, he's one of those directors that I always want to be in his vision like i always wish that that he had something where he thought i was right for it but i yeah i I had to come to this conclusion more than 20 years ago that if i love a filmmaker that if i love a director that if i love the the way that they express themselves and i am i am um emotionally connected to whatever their vision is then i have to appreciate when it doesn't include me yeah, right? and so it's not about me putting myself in front of them and making myself indispensable. It's about yeah. them believing that I will serve a purpose in telling whatever. That's what story you were saying on the set want. of Radio Days. Yeah, <laughs> you're like I'm. I'm valuable. I'm what they wanted. Yeah, and I'll do what I want. Well, that was I mean, a crazy I'll do one what too. they wanted. I auditioned for that movie almost three years before it was made, and uh, how's that work? It was crazy. So I went, and it was. Uh, Juliet Taylor in New York and I got to meet Woody Allen and then that whole project fell apart whatever it was going to be fell apart and he wound up making Hannah and her sisters instead Mm. and then when that was coming out they uh, started to make this and I got to come back in and meet Juliet again and meet Woody again and they told oh it was even weirder than that so my mom and I are in an elevator on the way to some audition and, and either Juliet or one of the casting associates is in the elevator this is two years later and she says, you know, that you would have got that part, except the movie fell apart. Wow. But, but you were cast. That was going to be you. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how to feel about that. 
but thanks. And so three years later, they brought me back the in. red panic button in the elevator. Yeah. Like, I don't like the feeling. Yeah, I'm just calling to the security. I'm like, we're trapped in the elevator. It looks like you're moving between floors. No, I am definitely trapped. Um, but when I came back in three years later, it was just to see if I hadn't grown too much. Wow. Could I still play this age uh, that was appropriate? I was thinking that this whole time. I was like, yeah. three years later is a big time. Yeah, I must have been like right. nine or ten the first time I met, and then it was 12 when we started shooting. So you didn't have like a spurt or something, or you did? I didn't have a spurt until I was almost 15, and wow. that was that was the end of it. <laughs> so your body was like, keep the hormones at bay. We yeah. need to be in radio days. Yeah, well, my mom is 4'11". Oh, wow. So I never had a fucking chance. <laughs> Four eleven is that yeah. a little person? Is she legally a little person? Probably, technically. I mean, I've teased her about that her entire life, <laughs> and she's only gotten smaller and she's gotten older, which is not a, a not a, a positive prospect for me. When we shot, we shot the James. That's hilarious. You're going to shrink. Um, yeah, inevitably. We shot the the James Corden thing. You and your stunt double were talking about yes. how Wolverine is your height. Or well, supposed to be around the, your height. the mythology of the, Wolverine yeah. is that he's like five foot, yeah, 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 and he's you know scrappy and small, yeah, but but thick like a tree, not Hugh Jackman six two. No, but they do a really good job of making him feel stocky. both compact and stocky. And yeah, it, oh, so I've never seen a better physical interpretation of the character than they wanted it to be Russell Crowe. That was the first choice. You, you ever I hear can, those things and you're like, that would have been weird. I can, I could see, see it. Yeah, we're dumb. If it had been Hugh, uh, Russell Crowe, and then they were like, they wanted Hugh Jackman, I'd be like, that razzle dazzle tap soft shoe songman. It is no been, way. It is impressive so how many dumb. things Hugh Jackman can be. He can be a lot of things. I'm, I'm guilty of that too. I get I get upset when casting people have a very um, uh, you know narrow minded view. We're in a business as performers of branding ourselves in such a way that it's antithetical to being cast in a variety of parts and the more famous you become the more an audience starts to only see you as one yeah. thing well you had that with scott and to your credit from austin Parrish. sure <laughs> <laughs> scott scott ackerman for a second i didn't know if you knew what i meant yeah. to your credit though when i saw you at james corden and when i was thinking about you coming I was researching, and then I remembered you were Scott. So I don't right. go like, there's Scott. But I, I have to imagine for a time, yeah, it was fucking nuts. Well, I had a lucky thing happen. Because there was oh. something about that scene. It was like, it felt different from the rest of the movie. It like stood uh. out. We, well, with Austin Powers specifically, uh, I think it was just the way, it's just the time in my life. So I was doing a play in San Diego, and it was one of the only long runs of a play I've ever done. We did 42 performances of American Buffalo at the old globe theater, a very small theater. And I was with, it was just me and these two other actors. Um, and they were both such fantastically accomplished actors that it was an incredible education. And I, and I really felt that's the most I've ever felt like an actor. Is, wow, that's is cool. Working that play, that's what and then Judd putting said to it me. on. He's every like night. actors don't get to act. You really don't. He's like they get to act like one percent of their month. Yeah, that's what theater is for. That's what a TV show can help with, obviously. Well, well, but I was living in San Diego for the three months that we were doing that play, and I couldn't get into the audition, so I had to put it on tape. And I was coming from, 
you know, this mammoth play, which is incredibly dramatic, and we're deconstructing all the dialogue, and we're finding all the the, the reality in between the moments. What do you think he means by this ellipses? Kind I of. love mammoth. I really did. Well, I didn't yeah. know. I just I was I was inexperienced and, yeah. and uneducated. But this about is where it. you're getting your crash course. So I was, and then when I put Austin Powers on tape, <laughs> I was coming from a place of what Who I read thought, the other part. Uh, I don't even remember. It was just uh, somebody somebody there. Somebody was reading Dr. Evil off camera. Yeah, yeah. but my whole take on it and what, <laughs> what Jay Roach said he responded to was the fact that I was in a drama, right? So oh, That's maybe what I mean, that it, it felt is. different from the rest of the movie. It is, and for me, that's I thought that I was mean. funny. So everything around this character is coming Seth, I thought you didn't agree with me. Like, obviously, it's super funny. It's, a, it's an iconic scene in the movie. And you just diagnosed why I was like, why did it feel different from the rest of the movies? Everyone you were in the movie, doing a theater piece. Yeah, everyone in the movie is a ridiculous character. Yes. And this poor kid who has lived his entire life without a father, who has no idea who his mother is. He's a test tube baby that was raised by a bunch of fucking henchmen. His his father is, is one of the most... It's like it's like being Bernie Madoff's kid. It's like you know what I mean? Yes, I do. It's like it's like being But you play Nixon's dead kid. serious, well, which that, is why it's funny. That's what I thought was the funniest thing. Funny. Like the more this kid is in trauma, yes. every time he has to talk to this fucking ridiculous person that he is related to. And that then yes. you, it's just funnier. Dude. In Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Polanski's wearing the full Austin Powers outfit. Did that stand out to you? (laughs) It did. And I was like, it took me out of the movie for a second because I was like, it's been a while since there's been a a movie like that where it was like, everyone knows this. Yeah. Everyone knows it. My mom knows it. As Chris Rock would say, it's not famous till your mom knows what it is. Every, like that movie changed everything and was fucking huge was it fun to do yeah it yeah. seemed like it well i loved mike myers for a long time he was hugely influential on me both yeah both on snl and in, like, axe making murder movies was before that right? yeah axe murder was the last thing before that and he had had that run of, wayne's doing, world, of doing wayne's world which was so incredible change i look yeah. back at the I, we were talking about the fake videos fake you know what i mean like amateur videos that i made as a kid yeah we were just doing Wayne's World bits. Like this, this is a guy that like taught yeah. us how to do like silly overdub. Remember Wayne's World two? There's the overdub scene, yeah, where like it's bad Japanese overdub. Yeah, we didn't know what we were homaging. We were just doing Wayne's World two. I think I had already seen. Was it Tommy Davidson did that on? Oh yeah, Robert Townsend's original HBO special. Oh man, and he did that whole like lip sync thing. He got Wayne's World. That was. Really, but but it was it was just the audacity of Wayne's World. The fact that uh, they're in a diner at some point, and Mike opens a door, and behind it, there's a fucking ninja training facility. And he goes, "I just always wanted to do that." <laughs> and I, in those moments, I was like, "I oh, got you can do anything." And, and when, when they, Ed O'Neill takes control of the narrative, remember they go into the diner, and he starts talking to the camera. Oh yeah, I and the camera follows him. That's so that's so link letter. No one even attributed that's it. That's what to I him. mean. We and it's a little Woody Allen. I mean, if you mm. think about Annie hall uh scandal noted um that whole talking to the camera thing the waiting in line yeah it 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 made me feel seen as like a hyper aware person yeah it's like like, oh there's others there's other people it's like in back to school where dangerfield you know throws his report at vonnegut and says you don't know a fucking thing about your own work (laughs) 
Hyperconscious is what it's called. Yeah. I learned that in media class. And then The Simpsons, it's so common now. Yeah. And obviously Family Guy. And I, I have to imagine Robot Chicken every once in a while would it is, be self-referential. It is. We're very um, aware of that. But it's why we keep bringing in younger writers. Because I found it's not, it's not my own observation, but comedy evolves every 10 years. And as pop a, culture. As a new generation is yeah. influenced by all the stuff that came before, it's like you know, why the X games stay exciting. It's a, somebody did a 360 flip grind and now the next guy's like, I'm going to do it on a fucking Zamboni right. just to prove it can be done. And once you push through that, right. it's, it's whatever comes next. But I, here's a, I feel like this is a good Seth Green question. I've noticed as a stand-up that nothing has toppled Star Wars as, as something you can reference and everyone will know what you're talking about. And this is even before... Um, the new batch of movies. There, there is a truth to that, even though there is a caveat. So the truth to that is that the the silhouette of Darth Vader is as recognizable globally as the crucifix, which is just a fucking crazy reality. That is crazy. It is crazy. So I, uh, I, I love to travel. And it, at one point I was... Um, there's a scene where you have to draw Darth Vader. You're trying to communicate something to a bunch of like even indigenous people who are going to kill you. And you go, no, no, no. And you draw the Death Star. And then they're like, oh. That, that would be really funny. That's said, funny. But no, it was even simpler than that. I had uh, I brought action figures with me and then I photographed them in epic environments because I just found it really entertaining. Sure. And I would use those photos to make storybooks for my nieces. Um, You're fun. Yeah. What are you, a cl- uh, like a class act? <laughs> I'm going to make you an Emmy. But I was in uh, Africa and I met these little Maasai boys who were, you know, herding cattle. And I wanted to take a picture of them with the, the C-3PO action figure. Yeah. And they, and they didn't even speak English, but they were like, C-3PO. No. And it shit. hit me how fucking famous yeah. Star Wars Forget is. Austin Powers. I mean, Austin yeah. Powers, respect given, but Star yeah. Wars is... Something it, else. Put, put Even though I'm not sure it means the same thing now. It's been really interesting to watch this next generation of kids. And, and some of it, I, th- I just think, is about ownership. It's that same conversation about what you can make your own, right? So when we were young, Star Wars came out. It had never been seen before, and it was something that we could own. It, it didn't feel like our parents anything. It felt like our own characters, our own friends, our own inspiration. And because kids are born into a world now where Star Wars always existed, it's got that same legacy quality that some, somebody like uh, the, the Stones or Elvis had where yep. you, don't, you as a kid don't want to pledge allegiance to whatever it is that made your parents uh, right. influence. And so I still have you that. see kids yeah. love something like Guardians of the Galaxy the way that I loved Star Wars, but they don't have the same connection to these new Star Wars movies because it it, it almost feels like a, like an admission of sameness to their parents. Yeah, that's interesting. Weird, yeah. right? No, I interviewed Jerry Garcia's daughter, Trixie mm. Garcia, and she was talking about how she thought her father was lame. And I was like, that's it. That's all we need to know. No more data is needed. That was one of my favorite things. So I got uh, the privilege of working with George Lucas for a few years on a on a show that has never been released. But in that incident we spent uh years of time with him and um got to see his kids shut up just dismantle him constantly really make him feel like the biggest asshole over and over again and no and i was i was saddled with that realization of oh my god your kids never 
never think you're cool. Yeah, no, that, no matter what. that is even 10 times better than Jerry Garcia and Trixie Garcia because that is for kids. <laughs> yeah. That's for kids and everybody, but I mean, it's yeah. for kids. I mean, they grew to a point where I'm sure everybody appreciates the value of it, but at the time, they're like, you're so dumb, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, she later became a huge deadhead uh, in, after the fact. What do you think about, just because it's fun to ask you these Seth Greeny questions, it's come up on the show a number of times, Lucas's any, and anybody's responsibility to the fans when it comes to going back and changing things, you know, like making Han shoot second. Yeah, that's what's hard, man. I, um, cause I think I had a different opinion before I made a movie. Yes. And then the second I made a movie, you were like, it's mine to do whatever I want with. No, I didn't have that, that, uh, kind of strident, uh, uh position. It was more, ah, this just didn't. Anything that wasn't as I imagined it or anything that I learned in the editing process that I would want to adjust. It's like once you release the movie, that's it. And you can't release it saying, oh, great, enjoy this, except know that I knew this part doesn't work the way I wanted it to or or whatever it is. And so if you're George Lucas and you're a technological innovator at the scope that he is and you're pioneering advances in filmmaking and challenging people to create stuff that never existed before, you're – you're hamstrung by the times, right? Yeah, and so right. over the years, but I like the little like there's some like lens pink flare under the sand cruiser. And stuff. I don't that I don't mind any of that either. But yeah, the one thing I learned firsthand from talking to him, and I found this to be <laughs> so cool. It is pretty. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, um, was that he he is all about the fans. He is all about the experience and the times when he's re-released the movies. It is because he wants to recreate that experience for families to share the movies in a theater. And it's, it's inevitably something that costs him money. And I always hear that complaint from fans. They're like, oh, you're just trying to take my money. Right. You're just a money, crazy, greedy, childhood ruining, whatever. Yeah. And I, I really believe those kind of comments hurt him, like hurt, yeah. his, hurt his feelings because yeah, in nerds his mind, are known for their sensitivity. I say nerds with love. He's yeah. not some like fucking yeah. quarterback. But I, I think he not really, that quarterbacks don't have feelings. He wants he wants the audience. He's he is a crowd pleasing event creator. That's yeah. what he wants. Right. He wants people to be happy, and he he always seems surprised by the outrage of and people. loses money. So it's not a money play. No, he. <laughs> people people don't think about that but before he sold the company to Disney for the entirety of the existence of Star Wars it was a self-financed production everything that he did was self-financed right which means so, he had to go and ask for the money from or or spend his own money yeah so he didn't um he never had a four income uh property that he owned he he created all these technological facilities that then rendered a service for other people. Hmm. Um, but, but he's not for as much. It's, it's hard for people to look at someone who is a billionaire, someone who has created something as significant as star Wars and, and even think about the fact that there's a real person. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They become an icon. Yeah. A symbol. Yeah. I think that was the only reason I was able to talk with him as I finally pushed through that barrier and was, and, and got to relate to him as a, and it sounds obnoxious to say, but as a celebrity, it's yeah. like we had a common ground in that we could go into a public place and people would behave in a way that was different from someone they didn't recognize. Right. And so we could relate about that. Yeah. And 
I could approach him or talk to him in a way that was more conversational. Well, that's your way. And I don't mean this in a manipulative way, but that is your common ground with anybody. Uh, When did you meet Leonardo DiNapigno? We met at the fucking Oakwood. Like, I knew him when he was like 13 years old. Yeah. Just swimming in the pool? Kind of. We were all, I mean, you just, when you're, when you're a, a kid actor, you're just aware of all the other kid actors. And everybody at Oakwood was out there for the he same. He was in the Oakwood? Yeah. Everybody was out there for season. the same shit. Yeah. Trying to get cast on stuff. So that was before he got. Leonardo DiCaprio! <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it just makes me laugh to think that he had to go in and slate nervously. Uh-huh. Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. 5-1. <laughs> Turn around, Leonardo. Hey, let's Leonardo. See, let's see the profile, please. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> blue auditions. I know we all did, but he he is our Jack Nicholson. You know what mm. I mean? Like that, he's gotten to that place. It I is feel. fun to think about that. Yeah. I mean, what other... There's no movie stars. Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio in the same movie. There are movie stars. There's well, but, just but I agree not with you. a it's, lot it's, where you're like, let's just see them. It doesn't... It doesn't mean the same thing. Like they're all of these streaming outlets, all of this ownership of the audience, all of this access to that's right, all of the content. It's it's diminished the urgency of any individual and the performer mystique too. Well, like we're living in a time where Julia Roberts put out not only a movie but also a TV show, and the 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 pantheon was so filled with credible work that she didn't even get nominated for things. That's right. You know what I mean? That's that's what I think. The way that I feel like radio maybe used to be like if you were a number one hit or something, it's like, well, somebody gave them cocaine, like vinyl. <laughs> they gave them cocaine and money to get that. Or they bought the awards or whatever. Mm. There's so many things. Like what What sort of gets me riled up is, and I don't even want to talk about it. I've been talking about it too much. But like everybody's talking about the Joker. And I'm like, why aren't we talking about a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? But there's so much great stuff that inevitably – even great stuff now gets overlooked. I sound like a conspiracy theorist. No, but, but it's like, there's fucking amazing stuff you, that it came out in the 90s would all be like, what the fuck is this? Now a Breaking Bad movie came out. Yeah. I haven't even seen it. I haven't seen it. I haven't even seen it. I'm, I'm having this exact issue. My wife and I are pretty good about consuming content. Uh, like, I'm going to go see Jojo Rabbit tonight. I'm so excited to see it. I've heard that's good. I've heard, well, I fucking love Taika Waititi. Yeah. I mean, are you into him? I... Do you know, I mean, don't know who like, that is. What we do? <laughs> well, I'm like, like, how do I play this? He he created, uh, he co-created what we do in the shadows. Oh, and... I'm sorry, you just said his name right. Oh. I've read it and said it wrong in my head. But he yeah, also... no, I do an impression of him. Do you? Ah, Seth, you got a nice little jacket there. Not too little, just the right size. Have you been for the... you? Not that you're little. You're, you know, you're not. You're tall. perfect, exactly you're where small. you are. You're just exactly right. Have you been to New Zealand? No. Oh man. But everything he does, which I love, what yeah. we do in shadows, Ragnarok, all that stuff. Yeah. I'm a fan. Me too. I just love what I call no offense humor. Oh, look at your little dirty shoes. Not that they're dirty like you killed somebody. Not that you couldn't kill somebody. You could. You'd probably get away with it too. Not that you have. You don't have that in your eyes. But if I was on a jury, I certainly wouldn't convict. That's, that's right. If I was on a jury. I think this guy could get away with rehab. That's good. I think I think you deserve a second shot. Not that you didn't deserve it before you killed somebody. I'm not, again, I'm not saying you killed but somebody. But listen, everybody makes mistakes. Who hasn't wanted to kill somebody? <laughs> not that I have. No, you could I mean, argue, have, you could argue that you're motivated and that you actually just went through with it. <laughs> so in that way, you committed. I've done no offense humor on this podcast and on stage. I've never had someone pick up on it as oh, really? quickly as you did. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> I like to think I'm here for you. You are here for me. But this it, is but a it, delight. But I'm it is in a that, hammock. It is that concept of like um, not just not being able to consume at all. 
you know? Yeah. Like I'm trying to stay current on stuff, but I'm also finding that the urgency with which I'm watching things prevents and, me from really absorbing it. That's right. It's it's entertainment as fire hose. Yeah. That's what's happening right now. Well, I just watched there's the- There's that uh, new uh, Boba Fett show. I know it's not Boba Fett. Mandalorian. There's the Mandal- is, Yeah. Is that his name? The, I thought it was a type of orange. This is Excuse a deep, me. This is some deep cut Star Wars shit. So if you- did you watch Clone Wars cartoon? No. If you did, you'd get a real education because they did such great service to what the Mandalorian was. So when Boba Fett came out, there was all this mythology that wasn't really explored. And then after those movies, uh, there were comic books and books, and that sort of evolved what the mythology these characters were. But it's like a race of warriors, sort of like Here's a question. Maori. Is George Lucas overseeing that? He is not overseeing Mandalorian, but I know that Oh, he, I just mean everything you just said. Is somebody yeah. pitching him an overall story? There was. There was, like, Going, there's a Mandalorian, he, and he's eating a big I don't think he was involved with the <laughs> Timothy Zahn novels, and he wasn't as involved with you know the comics and all of the stuff that he would, he would lovingly call the Holy Ghost of the, Star Wars. Because uh-huh. there's the Father, there's the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's anything funny. that comes from him is the Father. Anything that comes from someone that he anoints is the Son. And then there's all this other shit. That is very funny. And That's pretty cool, right? religious, and I loved it. So no, the kidding. guy uh, that ran Clone Wars, Dave Filoni, was the only person that really sat at his, at his side through the whole transition. Because when they were writing Clone Wars, when they were developing the live-action series that never got produced... Dave was the guy. Is that, that what you were working on? We were working on an animated half hour. George really wanted... There, there's a bunch of content that got developed before the sale that was working towards a different goal beyond making more movies. Mm-hmm. And once uh, he hired Kathleen Kennedy to run Lucasfilm and uh, was even considering the sale to Disney, the priority of the company became making more movies, oh, making Star Wars movies. And so anything that was in contrast to that or even peripherally... Um, not in line with that was just sort of shelved. Yeah. Um, so they had hours and hours of a live action series and a lot of the content or mythology that was in it got folded into the ongoing Clone Wars cartoon or into the Rebels cartoon. And then when they you know, sold the company and started making more movies and this idea of being able to make hour-long TV came up, that, that became the priority. So all these different expressions of Star Wars in, in all different ways, sort of like what Marvel has done right. with using all their characters or the enormity of the universe, right. like what universe is bigger than Star Wars. Right. So I'm excited about Mandalorian mostly because uh, I like those characters and also... And Bill Burr's in it. Take these lasers! Da, 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 da. That's not true. Is Bill Burr in it? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. He's in the new preview. You can see him. Oh, that's exciting. Shooting a laser gun. But I love... I love... This is fucking nerd (laughs) shit right here. (laughs) God, these stormtroopers that just... You like that with the Death Star? Gotta get home. My wife has cooked a pot pie. I'm gonna be late. (laughs) 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 I want his gun to go dot, dot, dot. You know George Lucas. We can go back. They haven't released it yet. Bill Burr's gun needs to go dot, dot. But it's even better. We started doing something on Robot Chicken. We we get into really silly habits, and it usually runs an entire season. We had a whole season of characters. Yeah, we we created situations where a shark would eat somebody from their feet up, and the person would scream, "Shark BJ!" And it just shark BJ, shark BJ. Every sketch we had a Jaws sketch, we had a Scrooge McDuck sketch, like Shark BJ. We had a uh, Somali pirates attacking a Polly Pocket cruise ship. You can't bring up Robot Chicken and Scrooge McDuck without me wanting to pitch. He jumps into the coins and breaks his neck. I mean, that's that's we we did a sketch where (laughs) Scrooge McDuck is swimming through his his uh, his vault, and a a money shark 
leaps out of the, the coins and oh my God. swallows him from the bottom. And he goes, oh, no, a shark, a BJ. <laughs> it's so, so stupid. Can we so talk stupid. for a second that it's, I didn't know this until, I don't know, 10 years ago that Scottish people, it's a stereotype that they're cheap. Oh, I've never heard that. Yeah. Huh. Tight as a Scot. Anybody? Never See, heard I'm from that. Boston. I'll out racist all of you. I think because I was raised Jewish, I just heard everything about Jewish yeah. people. Well, if there's a say. Jewish guy in the room, why go to the Scots? But if you're not available. Right. <laughs> but there <laughs> Is was. Anybody here from Scotland? I need to feel superior. I'm over here, but I'm not going to pay for your drink. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we had this runner. It's not that you couldn't pay for your own drink. Yeah, but, you know, I never, I never considered that. Of course, you're capable. Not that you have a drink problem. Yeah. I mean, maybe you do. We maybe, all do. People maybe say. you do, but isn't there much of a problem? There's great counseling for it, and you seem like the type of person to take your life in your own hands. <laughs> I, think it, I think it started, Breckenmeyer did a gag. Instead of laughing his way out of a scene, he He'd said, talk his way. He said, big exit laugh. And oh, that's I found funny. that hilarious. Frustrated. Like, speaking your, your parenthetical you know the stage direction Hercules is very one? funny. No. He, he yells frustrated, I'm pretty sure. Really? And it was the reader. In the... Hercules, the TV series. Oh, the Kevin Sorbo? I love that you knew his name. Not cra- How the hell did I pull that out? I, I loved it. Sometimes I don't even recognize friends of mine. <laughs> It was that great SNL sketch where they would bring out like an obscure celebrity and everyone would know their name and then they'd be like, this is your friend's wife. Yeah. <laughs> You've met her seven times. That's a great that's And a great they'd be sketch. like, Janet. And she's there, of course. It's a great sketch. That is a great Mulaney. sketch. Well, we started doing this bit. Uh, so- sometimes th- things will run where we started having characters speaking the sound effects just because it's funny. And so we... We, we've done this a bunch of times this season where a character's firing a gun and they're like, bang, 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 bang. Or, or, uh, or saying like, high kick or something so I just stupid. watched The Sword of Truth, which Marin is really great in. Oh, yeah. And um, at a key point in the movie, it's not the type of movie you could spoil or not spoil. Okay. Somebody p- points a gun at the back of somebody and like it looks like they're screwed, but then, and she goes, surprise gun! <laughs> She's a surprise gun. <laughs> it's one of the best jokes in the movie. That's, but that's exactly that comment of like every 10 years comedy evolves. That's right. And something new is happening in this moment when that I, feels a little different. I do stand up now and sometimes I did a, a show and the, the crowd was just a little bit older and I was talking to my friend about it and I was like, I'm really doing, and this is what we're all doing, most of us, stand up that's informed by the stand up before it. So yeah. if you don't know the stand up before it, my stand-up might seem a little bit strange. Like, I'm talking about stand-up in my stand-up. And that's very 2019. But if you haven't seen a stand-up show in 20 years, you're like, why isn't he talking about the dentist? Yeah. Zip-a-dip. It's a Cosby reference. Yeah, I was just at... Uh, I went to... My, my neighbor is Jeff Ross. Scandal noted. Do you know... <laughs> On Bill, not Jeff. Oh, the Cosby thing? Yeah, I, I like saying scandal noted. Actually, I really do. I don't want people to think that we're just like, and the great Bill Cosby scandal No, that's a, that's a particularly, and I, and I know everybody, I actually, not to get too serious, but I actually think that- I tried to get you to talk about Macaulay Culkin's <laughs> human skin shoes, so not right. his, but the ones, anyway. I actually feel like the Bill Cosby revelation is something that broke our country. Yeah, no, it did. Like it genuinely- that was a that, that and the and for the UK Jimmy Seville. So the idea that someone who was 
uh, such a profound influence and somebody that represented all these like McGruff, the crime dog. idealistic qualities yeah. being revealed to be a monster is a particularly devastating revelation. Yeah. And I think it broke a lot of Americans because you, you say, well, if this is true, if this unbelievable fact is true, then I guess I'd believe anything. And it was in, it was in that, that period of time that the, because you see Sarah Silverman getting – or um, uh, Chrissy Teigen getting called out on Twitter by trolls saying that they're pedophiles or running a sex ring or any of these things. No one would have ever used that as a weapon until their hearts and brains were broken by having to admit yeah. that Bill Cosby is, is a serial rapist. Isn't that called a post-truth society? I've heard that thrown around. Hmm. Is the What's idea that? that when things get so nuts – yeah, it's also what the – the George Clooney movie, Syriana, I think. I didn't not see Syriana. It. It's the one where he's in space. Uh, not it's uh, yeah. It's up so close to it. Uh, the the uh, Sandra Bullock movie. N- no, that's Gravity. Was that not the Clooney movie? Clooney in goes space? to space all the time. All the time. <laughs> yeah. He's got that frequent flyer. Yeah, space oh man, he can. He knows his way. <laughs> so is that Orion's belt? Make a left. It's like. No, it's. I think it's, it starts with like, an S. Uh, George Clooney up in space the air, movie, but for space. Sci- just take, uh, not to bark orders at you. Sci-fi George Clooney. Do it faster and do it faster. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> You've got the internet in your pocket. But the point is, and this book, this movie, which is a remake of a movie from the seventies, is referenced in one of my favorite books, which is the Four Arguments for Solaris. the Elimination Television. Solaris. Solaris. When he goes to Solaris, everybody. Isn't- Jeremy Davies in that? I swear I almost saw that movie. I don't know. It, I tried to watch it. What an endorsement. I didn't... Yeah, that wasn't... And here I am being like, I tried to watch it. <laughs> but the point is, it stands as an allegory. is because everybody on the ship, he's sent to rescue the ship. He's like a doctor or something. And everybody on the ship is having these visions. And the visions seem really real. And then he, of course, starts having visions. And the point is, is like once you start seeing things, but seeing isn't believing... And the and Jerry Mander, who wrote the four arguments, says that like as soon as seeing isn't believing, you kind of enter into a post truth society. Yeah. So if Bill Cosby appears this way, but he's this way, and if Trump is saying I'm going to grab pussies or whatever he's, whatever horrible thing he said, yeah. we start getting in a place where we're like, well, the Earth is flat. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And yeah. and uh, and and even me, I'm not saying I'm above it. I in an airport, very long delayed flight, started watching YouTube videos. Uh, or, or listening to podcasts or reading about, I don't remember what it was, about Hollywood and weird um, murder rings yeah. because I wanted to pass the time. And it's not that I believed it. That's why I was happy to ask you about it. I'm just going like, if nothing is true, everything becomes true? Well, what's what's hard about that is that there's probably kernels of truth in all of it. It's just not as widespread. Well, it becomes and, a and metaphor. It, it felt like a metaphor. I was like, you think we're murdering kids. Well, that seems like the metaphor you would say for saying maybe you're robbing people of their childhoods. Mm. But it becomes a ritualistic killing because that's a, a way to convey the feeling of what might be kind of happening that's interesting. metaphorically. Sure, the way that Greek mythology talks about uh, you know, fantastic things that probably are just a metaphor for the Bible itself. Right. It's, it's, there's probably some kernel of truth to Well, when we were talking about Georgie Lukes, I was thinking about Joey Cams. <laughs> and Joseph Campbell, that's his whole thing. Is he's like, you're conveying a feeling, so you say this happened. It's not necessarily... Uh, I'm open to Jesus walking on water, but I'm also saying that maybe it didn't happen. It's not important. It's definitely my official yeah. opinion. But the point is, this is a man who transcended all duality, including water and ground. 
You know what I'm saying? So, but that's really hard to explain to people, especially when they can't read or write. We've, so you go, uh, yeah, he walked on water. That's why we're listening to him. We've lost the ability to interpret nuance. That's right. The concept of irony is not um, your first instinct. That's right. Pe- people. So really- Luke's aunt and uncle get murdered because we can't go like, sometimes you uh, lose your attachment to your youth and you become a man in space. <laughs> what is his voice? That's a good one. I liked it. I did have it you, almost thought about building a show around that? I, this lot- is me. I'm the show. Hey, it's me. I want to talk to you for a second, huh? Look at me when I'm talking to you. It's I just of- had a breakfast of uh, porridge. You know, most people don't do it, but I'm bringing it back. What I got was avocado toast. I say, I hold the avocado. So basically, I just had a seven dollar piece of toast. You see what I'm saying? Do in the night. He said, I want you to hold this toast. avocado between your fucking legs. I want you to press it, fresh press, between the cheeks, <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> Unless you're borrowing that name tag. You think you can pull this off for me, Daniel? Are you just picking up a shift? (laughs) (laughs) You picking up a shift, Daniel? Are you here for the benefits, or can I count on you on the holidays? What's happening? One of my old jokes was, I was like, what's the employee discount at the grocery store? Because I'm there most days. (laughs) It might be worth picking up a shift. Might as well bag it. You need some help with this? Yeah, but if it's 30%, I'm going to organize these carts to save on this Gatorade. If I... (laughs) If I do my own roofing, do I get an employee discount on the mortgage? <laughs> I do it. Well, but at that point, just acquiring the skill makes you your own handyman. So it's not like you you, make the you might be able anyway. to get a discount at at Lowe's or something. But, yeah. But you just doing handyman work isn't going to give you a discount with other contractors. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about? Mandalorian. Oh sure. Oh, Joseph oh, yeah, but Campbell. Even, even to mention, we that, were talking about Joseph Campbell. Um, another reason I'm super excited about that show is because John Favreau is at the head of it, and that guy is, is just he? Uh, yeah, he's uh, uh, EPing. This is the uh, other problem. I don't know if you've run it. I'm sure you have. Where you go like, oh, Johnny Favs, <laughs> and you have an idea, and you're like, or or take anybody, J.J. Abrams, Favs, Apatow, all the greats, they're booked. You know what I'm saying? Right. They're booked. Yeah. Till twenty. 900 well but but it, it depends where you're coming from so like i i got to meet john uh years and years ago and we met in social situations um at the oakwood uh no no it was it uh <laughs> silly enough a, a mutual friend of ours hosted a, a fairly regular game night where we played like running charades and shit like that and so you have this experience with all these people in the industry you're where fun. you fun thanks man <laughs> you seem fun too uh, but where you're yeah, not. Yeah, but you are fun. After this, I'm going to draw the blinds <laughs> and just and just Peloton the shit out of it. <laughs> you're um, probably on your way to some fundraiser with Toby McGuire. <laughs> uh, you're sitting on your great Toby story because you don't want to derail. So you met Fav that's at true. Running Charades. Well, but it's just it's just that situation of you meet all of these other peers in your industry, yes, and yes. you you can't ever. Uh, ask anybody you you're never really in the position to even want from anybody you just have to accept that you're in a peer group that you're invited to the party yeah and so yes all of these guys are booked into infinity and that may mean that i can't hire someone or or i may never fit into their vision and so it would be inappropriate or pressurized for me to ask someone to hire me yeah right you just have to sort of be okay with the fact that you're participating. It's like you're still playing charades, dude. I, you're yeah. making me realize that I pitched Judd the show at a time when he was booked, yeah, and he, it still happened. Yeah, but he went and did it. Yeah, that's what I mean. He, so, and that's and that's a little bit of just believing yourself. That's right. Yeah, it was also good timing. I yeah. think he had another show that was going, but it was like literally the 15 minute window. 
<laughs> where like he had one slot. Well, he's one of those guys that I filled. that I sought out because I loved Ben Stiller's show, and when yeah. he was doing uh, um, Freaks and Geeks, Freaky Geeky, I was like, let's take a meeting, let's have lunch together. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if I just didn't make a great impression on him. He's literally never hired me. I would guarantee that that is not the case. But but also because, in that incident, because I admire and respect him yeah. as a creator and as a writer and as a director, I've always just assumed that if I was ever the thing that supported the vision he wanted yes. to make, that he wouldn't... No, you're right on the money that, there. But I, I realized in casting something myself and also working with Jed and watching Jed, it really helped me realize that things are not as personal. It's not, I know you know that. Well, I'm not that, giving you that advice. That was a lesson that I learned... Um, when I was about 17, I had a friend whose dad was a director and he was casting a, a big movie with a lot of big actors. And we found his office and found this pile of videotapes that were all the casting tapes. And we watched casting tapes of well-known people auditioning, doing chemistry reads. And it was as informative as it was to take that on-camera training class. Because you just What a magical saw, day! It really was. It, I'm going to write the Seth a, Green story. It was a massive revelation because just watching all those tapes, you saw, I saw a variety of things. So I saw actors both prepared and unprepared. I saw actors with a point of view and with this no point of view. This is a fucking great anecdote. It really was. And then on top of that, I saw how completely yes. impersonal it was because I would see a performer who I love, an actor who I love, who came, they're off book, they've got a take, it's like a very detailed, it's a, it is a bold position and it's just not right. It's just not right for the total Wow. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter how great they are, how, how skilled, how famous, how successful, how proven. It just doesn't feel right. It's gotta be the thing or yeah. it doesn't fucking matter. And so yeah. that helped me immeasurably with auditions yes. to leave it in the room, to put everything I had into, yes. this is my point of view. This is my take. I will be as prepared as I can. I will do as much work as I can. I'm going to come in and show you what I've prepared and then... If I'm not it, that's right. that's just the truth. I remember Tony Hale did this podcast um, a couple weeks ago, and he was like, "Who's a goddamn genius, by the way? He's amazing." Yeah, I just watched Toy Story four. I wish I had seen it before. I oh, I haven't seen him. it yet. He's great as Forky. That's not surprising. He's great Forky. Yeah. So so great script, great story. They really did it. Pixar wrote a great movie. No, I that's know, weird. I feel like four was like, "Are we going to do this?" Yeah, and it I, is and impressive. Rashida Jones, I feel like, was in the story by credits. Was she? Yeah. Do you know oh, Rashida wow. at all? I don't. I met her. Can you book this podcast? Years and, <laughs> years and years ago. My favorite, this is my favorite Rashida story because we saw each other socially a lot. Um, and I always thought she was a brilliant performer. We were at Upfronts together in 2000, maybe 2001. And I was doing a show with Eugene Levy. And she came up to me and was like, can I meet him? And that made me love her yes. so much that she was freaking out. There were so many other famous people at these yeah, upfronts, no. and she was losing her shit over Eugene Levy. That would be a great podcast get too. Eugene, Eugene? yeah, I bet you could get him. Uh, I don't know. My luck's been up Shit's Creek lately. That's a wonderful promotion. I don't realize what series. I just did. I blacked out. What happened? <laughs> Somewhere, somewhere, Eugene is in a in a castle pouring potions. I think uh, I just heard oh, someone uh, said uh, the name of the show was at the show. Me and Catherine, Catherine, 
Catherine. That's a great show. When, 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 Marty, and I, when Marty and I... Wow, it's 10 out of 10. I can't touch that. <laughs> I got to do a show on Fox where he was my dad. We did uh, 12 episodes of it. Sarah Silverman was on that, too. It was, oh, what, what was it called? It was called Greg the Bunny. Um, I remember Greg the Bunny. I loved it. We, we didn't get the best shot on Fox. It was, a, uh, it was, it was way ahead of its time. Um, it was a Larry Sanders-style show about puppets as a existing minority... That's and right. it was the behind the scenes of a kid's show. And I, so it was super inverse. And I hope Jed doesn't mind me saying this because I thought it was so funny when he said it. He goes, puppets are always the funniest they'll be on set. And I think there's something about that. Very interesting. Well, in this case... You what know what was, I'm talking about? Like, I really if, do. If you're at a, you were on a shoot with a puppet, it's like greatest time of our lives. People are fucking transfixed. It's like magic, yeah. and it's in, like improv. When you bring it to camera, I'm not saying it, there's great magic TV. There's great improv TV. It's just and there's great puppet stuff. It's just hard because it's so fun in a room with a guy going. It's higher, sad. But it's the tone of it. It really is. And the the thing, the reason that I wanted to do that show in the first place, so I'd seen all the stuff that they'd done on uh, on IFC. Um, and it was so deconstructive of the format and yeah. so smart and weird. And just the idea that puppets are a minority that have suffered all kinds of indignities and still have to work. And right. even you know the ones that become famous on successful shows are the ones that the other puppets are looking at. And they've got their own political grievances with. Right. And I auditioned for Ralph. Yeah. Is, oh, that, you, is that the tone? Oh, you got Oscar? Yeah, that was great. I'm pretty fucking grouchy, and they're like, oh, I'm going to go with the green guy. That doesn't even make sense. They I'm cast brown. you because of the palette of the show. Like, I can't dye my hair. Yeah, like, I can't wear a fucking wig. <laughs> I am a wig! And then he slams the door. Put me on your head! I can't wear a wig! I am a wig! Slams the door. I want to write for this show. It was Bring great. It back. It was great. So I got to do... You're on uh, a lot of shows I want to write for. <laughs> the things that got canceled 10 years ago? Yeah, but I mean, I like them. Oh, thanks. Oh, but I also meant Robo. Is you, Robo over? Uh, I, we are done with all the work for this season, yeah, but, but it will happening. continue to air. Uh, we have the, the, the rest of this current group of 10, and then next year, I think in March, they'll start airing the back 10. And then that's it? Un- you don't know. Well, I mean, I can, I can say we... we have an agreement to do an additional season of it. Yeah. But it is always, we never know. Right. Honcho. And first. especially with all of the um, convergence of these networks. That's uh, right. We're just in a massive period of transition. So I can assume that we'll get to continue to make this. But maybe it'll be on Apple Plus. Who knows? Yeah. I'm excited for Apple Plus. Now we're just talking. I'm curious about it for sure. You're Apple I, curious? Well, I, I am. I am Apple curious. <laughs> It doesn't um, even work. I've been a uh, I've been a consumer of most Apple products, and so uh, <laughs> I'm interested in their foray into uh, linear content. Yeah, um, I was watching the morning show. Did you watch it? I haven't watched it yet. I only watched part of it, but I was like, "Why does it look so good?" I really want someone to explain to me why it looks it looks really warm. And what, when you when you see it, if you see it, is that just the DP or it? It could be but the director what of is photography, this? not yes. the double penetration. Uh, I meant the DP looked great. Yeah. <laughs> Little cozy. I never, I never expected Jennifer Aniston to go full <laughs> frontal like this. <laughs> she went full Steve, frontal in Wonderlust. It was cut. Steve Carell did not strike me as a <laughs> penetration kind of guy. As a double, as as one of the penetrations. <laughs> I didn't see Wonderlust. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It's one of my favorite movies. Really? I love Wonderlust. It's so funny. David Wayne. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. 
Fantastic. I finally got to work with him. Um, I did Feudal and Stupid Gesture, which was this thing he did for Netflix about um, uh, uh, Doug Kenny and um, the National Lampoon. Oh, fun. Which was awesome. Oh, wait, I saw that. that. Was one of my, that was Were like you a, in it? I was. I got to play Christopher Guest. Because then I, I didn't make it very far. I'm the shortest Christopher Guest ever cast. Dude, and that, Christopher Guest keeps coming up. Eugene Levy. I mentioned Best in Show. Here yeah. we are again. Yeah. You also mentioned that you got into sex early. What does that mean? This isn't the Stern Show. I'm I don't know if wondering. I said sex early, but I was but you definitely... you grew up fast. I did. When did you have your first cigarette? Uh, I think I tried a cigarette when I was 16, but I was never really into cigarettes. Yeah? Yeah. What was I, your things? Uh, oh, I got into psychedelics young. You did? Yeah. Ring the bell, Katie? Well, just because I was very interested in... Um, intellectual exploration and i had read i had read a lot of crazy shit you know from um what is happening from like uh ken kesey to william burroughs i was really into william s burroughs what is happening right now what do you mean is this a conversation you guys have had earlier just every episode really oh yes i'm i'm what's what katie is laughing at is it's usually me that's like have you ever done mushrooms and i'm trying to get people to talk about have you done any of that stuff oh yeah yeah that it changed my life. I'll, if you want a copy of my book, the the inciting incident in my life in the book is that I took mushrooms. How old were you? I was thirty one. It was late. No shit. Yeah, that's interesting. Had you done other drugs before that? Uh, just weed. Yeah, just weed, and I was drinking quite a bit of booze. Just last episode, I was talking about the weird phenomenon that after I tried mushrooms, I just didn't drink for a month. Not because I tried to, yeah, but because I had tasted wonder and enrapture, yeah. and mystery, and that's all I want. Yeah. Even weed doesn't doesn't really make sense to me. I don't even smoke weed and I don't drink anymore, but maybe maybe 3 times a year, 4 times a year I'll I'll do some psychedelics. And have you done any of the other stuff whether it's MDMA or like DMT or I haven't done DMT, or, but the know? last person yesterday we did an episode and he told a great DMT story. Yeah. And do you have a DMT story? Um I've only done it one time, but it it's the same so for me, I started psychedelics when I was very young and don't make a habit of it. And I, and I also believe What's in... What's very young? Uh, I think I was 16 when and I took how acid. How did that happen? I was living in California by myself. <laughs> but, I, you know, because I grew up as a professional in Hollywood, I was not interested in things that took me out of um, the sharpness that comes from being lucid in I your understand. performances or your preparation. Dude, and so I, I all of my drug use was recreational yeah. and, and compartmentalized into a weekend or a vacation and at a time when it wouldn't conflict with any responsibility of work that I had. You're talking to a guy who, if he does take psychedelics, I used to have one day on either end. Now I'll have two days on either end. Yeah. Two days to sort of prep and center. Two days to... N- I one time shot a sketch after the day before I had uh, taken mushrooms and I was like... Oh, I can't. <laughs> and I just gave all my weed away because so many shows I do, they give you free weed. Just gave all my weed away yeah. because I was doing a show and my back was sweating and I was just like, stand-up's too hard to have a weed hangover. I didn't, I didn't start it's, smoking weed until I was in my mid to late 20s. Me too. And it was because I was having, I'd had chronic insomnia from the time I was 14 or 15. I see. And just, you know, you spend enough time not sleeping or not being able to get past the brain race that happens when you lay down. And I, I don't, I've never liked pharmaceuticals. I've never really enjoyed the, the fluffiness of pills that people describe with, you know, with affection. Um, and the reason, I, I mean, I didn't like weed young because I've, I saw how dumb it made people. And I, What's I, the little girl in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? 
who's yeah. not eating lunch before her scene. Yeah. That's, I wish I, we could use some more of that. I really, that, boy, that scene, yeah. that scene got me. It's when great. he's like reading that story and doesn't even know that it's about him. I know. And then he starts breaking down in front of that girl. I was I like, know. Jesus Christ, this is a brilliant scene. I know. It's so good. It's so good. No. Uh, so now you take a little puff of the sleepy stuff? Um, yeah, we, well, there's you, no judgment here. I'm no, none, none taken out. Honestly, I've spent my entire life being judged by so many people that it, <laughs> I, I don't say I'm invulnerable to it, but it's less of a priority. Yeah. I understand. Me to be yeah, thinking yeah. About. A casual mid afternoon judge from me. Um, yeah, we, we became a different thing for me over the last, what, 10 or 20 years. It's literally medicinal. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I promote CBD and I take that to help me sleep. I've heard you. Yeah. yeah. I like CBD too. I don't like making a consistent habit of anything. I agree. I, I really don't. Louis had a great bit, noted, where he said... Louis Armstrong? Louis Armstrong. He said... <laughs> or maybe maybe Louis Anderson. You know, when I, when I wake up at night, it's higher. <laughs> he did this podcast great episode yeah and he said he'd come back because he has a ghost story which reminds me let me know if you have any ghost stories i don't i don't have any actual ghost stories but i have gone out of my way to find dangerous and ghostly circumstances really yeah especially when i was young yeah because growing up in hollywood you can go to places like jim morrison's old house or i used to sneak onto the Houdini was that property. supposed to be haunted i mean they're let's, just let's find out <laughs> You're a fun-loving man. <laughs> so you took LSD when you were 16. How yeah, was that? It was great. Full I, yeah. tab? What are we talking about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And it was, you know, like it's supposed to be. It was a, a incredible revelation for me because I got that, that, that worldview um, at a young age that everything is connected, that, yeah. that, that all things are the same, that, that the air is the same, uh, at its at its core components as the concrete or your That's brain. us. Yeah. Seth, everybody listening to this podcast is laughing because they know how excited I am. It's always <laughs> me that goes every mystical tradition breaks down to the interconnectedness of everything and right. the illusion of separateness. And yeah. physics, quantum physics is reassuring us of the same thing because as I always say, this is just a swarm of molecules yeah. creating the play of separateness. And yeah. psychedelics goes like would you like to see what's really going on? And yeah. you're like, sure. Let's find out. And it goes, and it lifts what's known as the veil, the veil of separation. That's what veils yeah. do. They separate, tears the veil, and then you go, fuck, it's one thing. Yeah. And when I'm stealing, I'm stealing for myself. And when I'm loving, I'm loving myself. Well, and all of the thoughts that are in my brain are really just me telling myself my worst fears. I think that's why I loved Westworld so much. Did you watch Westworld? I did. So the entire revelation of Westworld, spoiler alert, that uh, Dolores comes to is that the voice in her head that she keeps listening to is her. And that's the development of consciousness. So once they reach the inside of the maze and discover that they themselves are their own our conscious conscience yeah that that that's the revelation of self-realization that's right um and i fucking love that show for yeah. for all of that mythology but so when i was young and i and i again i didn't make a habit of it but but between the time that i was 16 and and 18 i probably took acid like 30 or 40 times wow and i started getting into eating mushrooms because it was a more natural way to achieve the same effect even though if you have you done both of those things i have so there is the first time I took LSD, I was 40. I'm, I'm 40 now, so I, I, I waited a while. Wow. But I'd taken mushrooms, and when I started tripping, I was with my friend Michael Gunger, and I went, they're sisters. 
<laughs> Meaning, it's not a completely different thing. No, but there's a mechanical. Oh, I know what you mean. Nature to, to LSD. LSD that isn't present in but mushrooms. Did you know what? Um, I believe it was Albert Hoffman who synthesized LSD for the first time. They asked him. I'm pretty sure it was him. Which he preferred, LSD or mushrooms? And he said, I prefer LSD. Mm. And they said, why? And he said, um, because LSD is less embodied. And what he meant was mushrooms have a consciousness to them. Yeah. LSD has a synthesized version. It's like data on the Enterprise versus Geordi. And mushrooms, this is my impression of mushrooms. I think you're going to like it. Ready? <laughs> it's just like a drum circle and like, <laughs> even if it's yeah. very far in the background, you yeah. hear like a, if you're paying attention. There's a tribal connection a tribal. To, the, to the planet. You're and being invited to the, to the ceremony by the fire. Yeah. And as it is like it's just a, and their sisters I love that you take us to the six flags <laughs> but mushrooms has I think it has its own consciousness I think it has yeah and it can play it's and a fuck with plant. you a little bit more it's a little bit more um, mischievous hmm. than uh, LSD has been in my opinion. I started adopting the philosophy when I would ingest organic psychedelics of what does this plant want to tell me? That's right. This plant that is older than anything I've ever met or That's seen, right. this has information that predates for me. humanity. Yeah, there's a download and I've just got to be no, ne- there's a fucking neo download. about it. By the way, jungle cultures know this. They're like, you're going to be, vi- there's a great documentary. I think Leonardo DiCaprio was involved with it. But it's about a guy who goes into the jungle to take ayahuasca because he's going to kill himself. And it's really great. And I forget what it's called. It's on Netflix. Fuck my shit. Anyway, he goes into the woods, into the jungle. I'm going to need a rubber if I'm going to fuck your shit. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's quite clean. I believe you still. What if I told you it was vegan? All right. Um, (laughs) He goes in the woods and he said he's he's alone for like 30 days and he's not really eating. And I, they were even using tobacco ceremoniously, so he was yeah. like smoking constantly. And then he uh, he said ayahuasca came and visited him. He wasn't on ayahuasca; mm. it like came and like hung out with him. Yeah. And w- people in this culture were looking at our phones. We have blue light ripping us away from our inherent humanity. We don't understand. They're just like, oh, you met you met Lady Ayahuasca. Yeah. Did she mention me? Like it's just like it's as normal, or it's as crazy to us as to them. It would be that we're streaming all these fucking shows and shit. Mm. There's different, just different magic. So it sounds like you have a lot to say about this. Tell me everything. Uh, well, have the, you, the only ahead. thing that I would say is that it's all kind of the same core experience, which is that revelation, that awareness, that uh, ability to to do your own inventory without ego or emotion. Yeah, uh, to where you can sort of. Um, uh, as as a s- separate uh, scientist or explorer, you can observe yourself. You can ex- observe conditions, and there's no judgment as consciousness. That's yeah. what's happening. Yeah, and that that in itself was the most powerful thing. So any of them, whether it's MDMA or uh, DMT or, or especially ayahuasca, they are different shapes of the same. So it sounds like you did like a real proper ayahuasca. If you know people are smoking I did. tobacco. I did a yeah. I did a legit three day with fasting on either side of it, um, uh, with a shaman 
in a in a group and like an isolated experience we were completely removed from all of the other things like you don't look at your phone you don't look at media you don't accept phone calls you're just off the grid and you're doing this this is what you're doing it's it's like two weeks before that you fast on all of the things that are um uh, well you because you've tripped you know I had a really bad trip, and I, I don't normally eat meat. This was years ago. I ate In-N-Out Burger, and then I had one of the worst trips of my life. And I was like, yeah, you had thousands of cow carcasses in your belly. I know that sounds very hippie, no, but, but you, you start you to realize your, inner, your interior world has a lot to do with what you're looking at, what you're thinking about, yeah. and what you're eating. And when you let psychedelics take the rain, you start – even what you're reading. When I took LSD on my 40th birthday, I was like, it matters. That's mm-hmm. what I kept saying. I was like, it matters that I'm reading these books about interconnectivity and about love yeah. and about light and goodness because that's the fucking shit that gets the lid kicked off of it. And if all I was doing was watching fucking – Rob Zombie movies, nothing wrong with them. But if I, that's all I was doing, would have some more interesting. If that's your exclusive diet, that's that right. is going to be your conditioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you go on. You took ayahuasca you fasting. I did well, and it was great it, it, for me because I'd done so many psychedelics prior to that, and it had been years since I had done anything, even like mushrooms. And the the ayahuasca was something that had always been not a bucket list, but a curiosity, some some threshold I wanted to experience. Um, and I made I may do it again just because of how energized and reminded I was throughout it. You know, once you make contact with that inner voice, once you connect to yourself at that granular level, that, that quark level, Mm. you, that's a great way to put it. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't necessarily want to do it all the time because it makes you put your consciousness in one molecule. (laughs) That's, that's what a lot of people like. I'm not saying that specifically, but the, the, the reduction into the most basic form of being is very relaxing. It is. You're not worrying about whatever it is. And it's not just because you feel so good. It's because you are something more simple. You're outside of your body, which is in, in itself is just a construct. And it sort of makes the argument that time that, it's what it's what Interstellar does so well, which is to point out that the the universe is a circle, that right. that time itself is just that's what Alan something wants something we've agreed to. That's how he to. explains it to kids. He goes, um, "The world is a circle. There's in the way that there's no end and there's no beginning." Yeah. He's like, and there's the illusion of things beginning and ending, but because as soon as you have the illusion of things being, their counterpart is going to exist, but really nothing's happening. Yeah. It's kind of a tricky. And trippy thing to tell a kid. You have to kind of be careful with that. Yeah. Because then they might be like, well, I'll jump in this volcano and I'll just be back. Well, that's just Darwinism. Like, anybody that's willing to do that is clearly just being weeded. <laughs> we don't need out. you. Yeah. Volcano lady. Look, you got you to gotta not jump in that volcano. <laughs> so what was it like? Five hours? Six hours? It's like a six-hour DMT trip? I guess so. D- DMT was a slightly different experience because it was just a brief thing and you're, you're in and out of it with absolutely no residual effect. In fact, the, the anticipation of it lasted longer than any residual effect from it. And with DMT, it is just that absolute shortcut to the source, right? So when you're on acid or mushrooms or, or even something like MDMA, at the end of it, there is that place where you're very outside of your body, where you just sort of succumb to whatever it is. Yeah. And, sometimes lay down and close your eyes because your your body can't even communicate with your mind it's yeah. moving too quickly your your awareness of all things around you is so immediate and mm-hmm. pressing that you your body has no place in it um that's what i kept saying to val i i know people have heard this before but i'm saying it to you 
is that I kept just going, it's ineffable, it's ineffable, it's ineffable. Mm. And it was so beautiful. Yeah, it's was, comforting. I was like crying and just going like, yeah. I'm not going to be able to bring this back. But DMT yeah. is like, you're not going to be able to bring this back. And then, and then you're back. <laughs> right? It is, yeah. Well, I think, I think because I started taking psychedelics so young, I've always been aware of the exchange. And because I read so much about it before I ever did it, both you know, documents of the military of their testing or, or any of the merry pranksters and their artistic innovations uh, under the influence of it. I, I'd even read uh, fictionalized things. What was it? The Outsiders or one of those where they talk about a guy who ate so much acid and never came back from it or seeing like a Ralph Bakshi movie about a guy who takes too much acid. And that, that idea that you're your own shepherd through the experience and that it is a short-term experience, no matter how permanent it feels in the moment, that it is just a, a vibration that you're given um, access to, mm-hmm. like a frequency you're not typically able to dial in. And then as soon as you're under the a influence shortcut. of this medicine, you can see things that you haven't seen before. Right. Yeah. Things that by other methods you, by right, should be in a cave, like doing controlled breathing for seven days. And yeah. then maybe you get like up and, and, <laughs> and every knucklehead that, you know, eats these things. Yeah. Although I, I do want to say you got to be very careful about these things absolutely with as as with anything you well and that was why i love the the concept of ayahuasca because it was treated like a ceremony it's it's treated with the gravity that it was treated with when people first realized that it was something that they could do you do it with a shaman you do it under these specific circumstances and then you can yield the experience that most people are going for but a lot of people a are not comfortable getting into their own consciousness like that whatever construct they've created for themselves over the course of their lives just to be able to fucking deal yeah it's a little too fragile right you don't want to scratch the boundaries of what do you mean your kia nothing is nothing is nothing you know what i mean you're like i just want my kia thank you i'm gonna drive my (laughs) kia down the street i want the street to be the same thing as the kia and the same thing as me operating with the one and only unborn awareness but it did it did give me a little bit of like a like a, a genuine exhale where yeah. it's like, okay, all of the things that I'm thinking are things that I agree to. And if I don't want to agree to those, that's up to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I accept these constructs and I participate, but it's, it's critical to m- maintain the awareness that it is that. It's just a yeah. construct. It takes, yeah. it, it takes away some of the fear. And some of the freedom, even what you're saying. Yeah. I love, I, there, Andrew Wheel in one of the, I believe it was in Dying to Know, he was like, I took LSD and LSD told me to drop out of school. <laughs> and he was like, I didn't want to do that. So I didn't. And, and then I, I just loved that you need to maintain your agency because yeah. the drugs are going to say nothing is happening. Stay with me. The drugs are going to say, look at all those idiots. You know, I was just reading about Thomas Merton, who's a Catholic mystic. And he was like, after he joined the monastery, he would look at New York City and everybody's rushing around as if they're going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it would bring you to tears, like nothing real is happening. Nothing is real. And that's like a very mushroomy thing. You can, one of the tricks for me is to have that realization, especially in what we do, and still play the game. Yeah. That you just go like, and you're playing the part of Seth Green very well. Your yeah, own consciousness <laughs> and how conscious you are, that's that's your own to bear. But that's the thing I like about human beings in general is that biologically we are all the same, even though some of us have different uh, skills or different organic um, uh, specialties, y- you know, we're all essentially the same. Um, and so 
some of these things can lead us all to the same conclusions. That's right. You know, yeah. Like, we all, if you eat this, you'll probably have this sort of experience. Yeah. yeah. There's some, no matter where you there. come from, you're going right. to, it's like, uh, this sounds so silly to say, but I went to years and years ago, I went to see that show. Oh, in Vegas, the Cirque du Soleil that takes place in the water. I saw, Oh, you saw it, right? Yeah. So I, all kinds of people go to Vegas after the show. I was, I went to the bar in the theater and there was a guy there with a massive cowboy hat, right? And he's with a, a woman with gigantic hair and even bigger earrings. And I would think I have nothing in common with this guy yeah. just by the drink he's ordering and the way that he was standing. And uh, he was like, hey, man, did you, just, uh, did you see that show? And I said, I did. And he just looked at me and he goes, that was something else, huh? <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah. And he goes, damn, huh? And I go... Yeah, it's beautiful. And he goes, it was. Yeah. And we just sort of looked at each other. We had shared this yeah. magical entertainment That's experience right. that made us both feel something. That's a mini green book right there. <laughs> That's a two-hour call. And I didn't even have to drive this guy. Yeah, you didn't even have to drive yeah. or on his horse. You didn't have to ride this guy <laughs> I'd around I'd be impressed if he parked that, that horse outside of the Bellagio. Oh, my God. Did you... So we always end, I don't know if you know, talking about the meaning of life. It sounds like you kind of have this consciousness separateness illusion thing from the drugs mm. do you have any feelings about that about the meaning of life yeah the meaning of consciousness the play of existence i mean we we are given um the meaning one of, of the, life well i know i love one of that. my favorite one of my favorite movies uh we're given i'm trying to remember it we're given uh i, I think the greatest thing that we're given is free will right so anything that you adhere to any construct that you follow, any um, instructions that you follow, that's by choice. And that, that I think is really powerful. So I try to, and I don't always succeed, choose to be grateful, choose to be positive, choose to participate. Because I have seen the effect of that versus the opposite. If you give in to negativity, if you give in to you know insecurity um you only restrain yourself yeah right so there's all these things that we in the world have created to elevate us and it's very easy to be cynical against religion against pop culture against basic civility but the truth is i have found whenever i am able to exemplify the qualities that i want reflected towards me that's the most effective Mm. and whenever i um because man i have dark fucking days i'm sure like everybody and i i look around at the world and it feels untenable you know but i i i also recognize i've traveled all over the world and the one thing that seems to be consistent is that if you are kind to someone if you smile at someone, if you acknowledge someone, you you get the reward. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's I don't know. Is it's, that is that the meaning of life? No, that's just it. that's just a, a philosophy I try to live by daily. When my baby was crying, just I it's it, I don't know I don't want to sound like I'm 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 like really killing this parenting thing, but I, I do think <laughs> I'm doing a good job because I'm being conscious and I'm being present. 
And when she cries, like, I like to just try and check in and just, like, look at her. And even it's stupid to be like, I just go, like, I see you. I, and even mirroring her feelings back yeah. to her and being like, I know, I know. And I'm like, shit, man, it never changes. That's what we all need. Yeah. It's like, I, I yeah. got groceries and I could just tell the woman was looking for some human connection. Fucking give it. Yeah. I really do try that. That's an interesting thing. I noticed that when uh, when my nieces were born that uh, – I don't know why I had never thought about this, but you're watching a a computer get programmed, yeah. right? And yeah. they, they – like I'd watch my niece have – she was so young that she couldn't express herself and couldn't relate to anyone else what – she was feeling and yeah. she was feeling such a complicated swirl of emotions that she didn't even understand, let alone know how to express or how to contend with. And that's why she burned down the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> All I want for my birthday is this flamethrower. <laughs> well, we trusted her. We thought it was for a school project. Next thing we know, she's torching the woods. Sauerkraut sandwich. I think he does a toasted sauerkraut sandwich. That one of the, I mean, spoiler alert, one of the most satisfying moments in film. And when you know it's coming, you see the elegance with which it's set up. And it really like, was. This yeah. is fucking how nuts. How casually he laid all those breadcrumbs that were then paid he off throughout the film. Nailed it. Yep. Yes. I really did love that. I'm going to own it on Laserdisc. <laughs> um, so you're seeing your niece getting programmed. Yeah, well, it's just that sentiment of like a child being so young and incapable of communicating and that's, that they're, they're and overwhelmed she by the, the enormity of their own emotion. And what what did she really do? Um, well, I just realized, A, that I was still feeling that same complicated and unknowable crush of emotion. And I had just become a little more um, capable of organizing it into words and getting it out and then um, s- soliciting uh, support from other human beings that were inevitably feeling the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. But so when you're talking about your kid um, going through whatever permutations of emotion and trying to meet them at that place so that they feel both Seen. heard yeah. and understood, I think that's, that's, I think that's really wonderful. I'm sorry to say, it, but I just want some, I want people to do it. If Val and I are in a rush, just taking that five seconds to look each other in the eye before you leave, what's five seconds? Yeah. Who's going to be like, you know, I wasn't going to say you were late, but you were five seconds. Just that like eye contact, grab their face and go, I'm here. I'm a rushed person. Or even when you're angry, you're like, I'm still here. I'm still here. It is tough, man. I try with my wife all the time just to make those connections. And sometimes I'm able to, sometimes I'm not. Who are we talking to? You said we have dark days. Buddy, one of the reasons I love having these conversations, I don't want people to think that I'm just easily flowing in this place. It is the conversations themselves that help me stay in it. You talk about gratitude. You talk about kindness. I think that's why people like to listen. It's like we need – Val said something really deep the other day, really beautiful, where she was like, the day you die or any day will be like every day in that you sort of wake up and you've forgotten and at some point you might remember and that's what happens over and over. It's like this this wave. It keeps rising and falling, rising and falling. So it's like you'd like to think that maybe the month you die, you just walk around like Buddha, or you don't, your feet don't touch the ground. But chances are, that even the day you die, you'll wake up that morning and you'll forget. 
You'll forget love. You'll forget kindness. You'll forget to not be afraid. You'll, and most importantly, you, you'll forget who you really are, yeah. which is a piece of everything. Yeah. But then hopefully you'll remember and then you go, peace. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is one of my favorite magic tricks. And I think why I'm so attracted to performing and making movies is that you can tune out any of the rest of the noise. You can, in a moment, not ignore, but not acknowledge all of the chaos and strife and ill will and negative emotion that yeah. is in the planet. Like in this moment, we're all just taking the time to sit in the sun and sit on your couch and drink this cold brew and have yeah. a conversation about the positive things that we've learned. That's right. And, you know, outside, California's on fire. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it really is. And the world is crazier than I've ever known. And I've right. lived here over 40 years. So yeah. it is it is still entirely possible for us as a human animal to make moments special that's right or make moments positive i think that's why so many people are attracted to religion because you get into a group of people who are all agree to agree to the same thing yeah Yeah. unfortunately it often goes upside down for sure but a movie and i'm sorry to keep talking about it but i'm also not once upon a time in hollywood you leave and everybody sort of feels like you after oh like a a, a spell was cast yeah this happens at concerts this happens at comedy shows it happens at but nothing really does it quite like a movie because it was like it really overtook you yeah the sounds and the sights and the colors and the ad and you're just like it completely takes you I remember when I, it's stupid, but I saw Goodwill Hunting and me and my friend Fonz, we call him Fonz, just went for a drive because we were so inspired to like, and he leaves to go to California. I think it has a lot to do with me at that age going, I could go to California. Yeah. And you know where we are right now, Sam? Uh, Studio City. We're on fire. (laughs) (laughs) We're in California. I I love that movie too. And I found it similarly inspiring. Yeah. Because. Well, we were the same age. Well, and I knew both of those guys uh, and they sold this script and then made this movie. I also knew them. And it was such a a revelation, right? Yeah. That was also part of the story. Yeah. That was, that, that's exactly right. It wasn't just a movie about these guys making good. It was literally two people roughly my, well, a little bit older than me. Making a fucking winning an Oscar, yeah, just like you said, Cosby broke us in a certain way. Things like that make us feel fantastic, absolutely. Like Lizzo makes me feel fantastic. Have you met her? No, oh, she's the best. Man. What are you doing? They're even crazier. So, she booked this podcast, she went on tour with Would uh, Lizzo. Do this podcast, maybe she's busy, is the tough part, but she's, she's also like she's busy, super, super nice. Um, she Macaulay Culkin at one point put together as a novelty a Velvet Underground parody band called the Pizza Underground and they toured all around the world and there was a point where they did a US leg and they had Harmar Superstar and Lizzo on the bill this is like 2015 just get in the sauna and so I got a will I'll spend, I'll spend time <laughs> in, your, in your daylight sauna um, but I got to see her in 15 and she was amazing and I you can even like go way back on my Instagram and find the the post where I was like, holy shit, get, find out about this, this wow. woman. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You were pre-Juice Lizzo. I can't claim any credit. I just saw a brilliant performer performing because and you said, happen to be I agree, this is brilliant. An eclectic artist that's like, I'm going to make an ironic band. <laughs> the most uncompromising artist of Is he really? Day. Yeah, he just he does whatever he wants. That's so fun. Yeah. He's great. Well, we're going to get Macaulay on here. I bet you guys would have a good conversation. And he would also... Turn around. If you listen to his podcast at all, he gets, what's it called? Uh, Bunny ears. Bunny ears. 
So. Is that that show you did in 16 episodes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that was Greg the Bunny. Years. Yeah. A um, couple, fa- couple final cues. One... I'm never leaving. This is the first, the first five-hour podcast you've done. Well, we've done that. Who did you have five hours with? There's a number of four hours. We've is that true? Five. Yeah. Who did you have four hours with? Who did we? Drew Carey came in. Megan Gantz, Matt Myra. Dana Carvey was three hours. Oh, because he's... He wouldn't stop. He's a brilliant guy. He's awesome. But I remember him being like, I don't know if we've been funny enough to stop. He like wanted to hit a high note. Don't you love that? I do love that. A real showman. Yeah, he did it. But you're in the sun. I am. You're about to get hot. Jesus Christ! You can. Can we close that? But you'll, I, you'll see me quite literally catch fire. <laughs> it's like a vampire in the end of whatever movie where they're like exposed to the sun and start singeing. Yes, I. <laughs> different vampire movies, different beliefs about the sun. I've noticed. Fair enough. Did in you a, see Only Lovers Left Alive? No. Ah, oh, it's so good. It's uh, it's Tom Hiddleston and um, I guess it's, it must be Tilda Swinton. Um, mm. Isn't it? I think it's Jim Jarmusch. I may be saying this all saying wrong. a lot of names. But it's a cool movie about like the last vampires um, in a world where a blood disease has been killing all the vampires. Oh, wow. And it's a sort of quiet exploration of the world changing all around you and bearing witness to the evolution of culture, of people, the loss of everyone you've ever known, the the quiet exploration of your solitude. Wow. It's a beautiful movie. Every day waking up a little bit more useless. Yeah. And you start crying. <laughs> tell me a Leonardo Such a good movie. Tell me a Leonardo story. Um, I just saw him for the first time in, uh, it's been like over 10 years since we saw each other. I was at a party. He handed you a sandwich. That's all I need. What, what, give me a story. No, it was like the, it was the most (laughs) casual of things. It was like, holy shit. And then the both of us commiserating about things that we'd experienced when we were kids and just sort of mutually remarking how far we've both come and what the world is like. You know what I mean? But also like a super casual drinking wine and laughing about anybody falling in the pool at this party oh my god that was really nice at roman Polanski's house (laughs) um no even more hollywood was at the chateau marmont was it yeah i didn't know that stuff really happened there somebody falling in the pool no like real like i didn't know it was still like a place i guess it is why wouldn't it be uh somebody had a party and we were both it's the only french words that everybody can't wait to say Bon pain, I'm still bon vivant. Yeah. Bon vivant. But I'm the asshole that bon says vivant. croissant. You know, my wife gets Ooh, furious about croissant. that because she's from Memphis. My mom was obnoxiously worldly and insisted on saying things with correct pronunciation oh because God. it's insulting to whoever's thing it is for you to mispronounce it. And so even though you will be tall poppy shamed by anybody that isn't comfortable saying it with the correct pronunciation, it is um, just a basic civility for you to oh, be respectful of the word. That was how my mom taught me. So I'm the obnoxious guy that says croissant. Croissant. Yeah. Can I have a spinach croissant? That's how they <laughs> introduce Paul Giamatti's character in Sideways, and it's how they very <laughs> subtly let you know. And I read the script. It's in the script. Because I was like, is that a riff? It's in the script. It doesn't say... There's no reader 
good pronunciation. Yeah. But that's, you said, has a take. Mm-hmm. Giamatti's like, this guy knows wine. Yeah. He says croissant. He's the guy that does it. And right in that moment, it's one of my favorite movies. I do love Introducing that movie. a character to. The- because it shows him lying. It shows, first of all, he's waking up hungover. But it starts with him having to move the car. Yeah, right. Which because is he parked an incredible it, introduction. He parked it drunk. Yeah, right away you go. This guy's a drunk. Yeah, and he, so he's hungover. He, then he lies. He's late. Then he takes his time. Then he says croissant, and we go. We get it. <laughs> and then you enter the Sandman. God, I love him. I I got to see him in uh, the Iceman Cometh on Broadway, and I'm I don't. Gonna I'm gonna I had cometh. already liked him. Yeah, but yeah. there's something about seeing an actor on stage do something that is cinematic, and he he had such a subtlety in his performance that I could see from the way back row. Like wow. it, it, the depth of his character work was I'm apparent. Just the size of his face. So a huge <laughs> face. <laughs> I was super impressed. Wow. I've loved him ever. Uh, I saw Pacino time. in Glengarry Glen Ross, not playing Richard Romo, playing, uh, Shelley, the machine Levine. You, I heard, I listened to, uh, you and Forte talking and you did your Pacino. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was he really hilarious. liked it. Yeah, and then so I, silly. when I watched once upon a time in Hollywood, I was like, it's pretty good. It is. Well, cause it, but, but it's that thing. <laughs> it's the same thing with the walk-in. It's not about the high notes. Yeah. It's about the subtlety of the low yeah, notes. I, right. I noticed that really early cause Jay Moore was doing that great walk-in impression. And then everybody was doing the like, you know, I'm yeah. the man. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone says this. Yeah. But but I always found the real impersonation lived That's in the really lower good. notes where it's like, you know, I, I'm not the type of guy who eats cereal. <laughs> I'm not going to take a bowl of cereal and just eat it with milk. What am I going to use? Milk? <laughs> who does that? Oat? No. <laughs> maybe oat milk. Or maybe it's dry. Or maybe I eat it piece by piece. Christopher Walken. Like the girl in Get Out. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I got to make a movie with him, and it was like one of the best experiences ever. Christopher Walken, yeah. Jordan Peeler, Allison Williams. Who do you mean? Uh, with, <laughs> with, with Christopher Walken. And we got to improv together, which was one of my favorite things ever. Really? Yeah, it was a movie called America's Sweethearts. And I played a film executive who worked at a studio that was taking over for uh, Billy Crystal when Billy Crystal was leaving but because we were putting on this massive press event and there were two stars that had a lot of history they needed him back so even after I had fired him and been all cocky about like we're gonna miss you then I was in way over my head and needed Billy Crystal's character to save my ass and at one wow. point uh, Chris Walken is this filmmaker he's this crazy uh, unpredictable guy and he steps off a fucking helicopter he's still got the the film in the cans like bringing the actual physical film and after there's a screening of it for the press I come up to him and 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 tell him that he's rewritten my narrative and now I want to work for him and um we got to improv this whole bit together and I've never been more proud of anything than cracking him on camera oh it was my the best God. so he uh I come up to him and I say uh, oh you know whatever the character's name is like 20 years ago now um that uh this was an inspiration and a, and a revelation to me. I, I, I just want to follow you. I, would you ever consider working with me? And he said, redheads are rare. And I said, yes, yes, we are. And he goes, so aggressive, Gene. Comes from your mother. Same as baldness. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, your mother was bald? And he broke. And I was like, oh, this is a fucking victory. <laughs> What a victory. I've succeeded. <laughs> he didn't make the movie? 
It's in the movie. It's yeah. in the movie. It's in the movie. The riff stays in the picture. <laughs> that is beautiful. R.I.P. Bob Evans. Yeah. yeah. Well, well. Yeah. You've been a delight. Thanks, man. You too. Here's the last question. Okay. I'll brace myself. I see it's you've been taking one. notes, by the way. I didn't know uh, well, what these Well, family success. How did your family deal with your success? Who cares? <laughs> um, I wrote they the see, number They seem to have seven. survived. Oh, because you were seven when you started working. Work with mm-hmm. wife. Who fucking cares? <laughs> um, I don't know what this says. Malin? Well, I will say this about working with my wife. Uh, Edit this out. Part of the... Re- <laughs> Um, part of the reason that, that I think we were attracted to each other was because of our mutual love of performing and um, building things. She's both a, a writer and a producer as well as a performer. And uh, I like when I get the chance to work with her because obviously I like what she's capable of. Yeah. I, I cast her in this movie that I got to make and I wrote a part specifically for her as I did with each of the friends that I wanted in the movie because I knew that I could utilize their expertise in a particular area to my advantage. So I love that. What's that movie called, by the way? It's called Changeland, get and it's to uh, get into it. It's like available most places now. It was uh, released digitally. I think you can get it on. D- In fact, I know you can get it on DVD through Target or Walmart. That's great. Um, and it's going to premiere on Hulu hopefully uh, before the end of the year. Vice is on Hulu. I'm seeing all the good movies. Oh yeah, good movies going over to Hulu. Yeah, it's a good platform. Uh, did you buy the custom GI Joe that you got to name, and you had your own? You know, file card. This is so funny. Yes, of course I did. What was your code name? Potato Head. Because I was... I well, was, the character did sort of look like you, a potato head. It really did. But you could also... You could write anything you wanted. So I filled in this thing like a comedic Mad Libs. Because <laughs> um, it said, you know, blank, um, apostrophe S, uh, co-workers or, or soldiers all think that blank is this. And so I said, uh, Potato Head's co-workers all think he's an idiot. <laughs> and I, I ran the whole file card like that. <laughs> like his defining moment was the time he shit himself on the battlefield. It would let you do squares? No, I said yeah, like pooped funny. his pants on the battlefield. Because they mostly just printed it. Of course. And so everything that I said was a joke. That's like when I found out you could customize your Nikes and I tried to have them say Adidas and they wouldn't do it. The, the Nike ID? Yeah, the Nike idea. That's wanted so to be funny. Adidas. I think you had some a minimum of letters, though. You can't do enough letters. For some reason, yeah, you're right. Maybe I tried to do, yep, you're right. I do remember trying to do it, and it didn't work, but you're probably right. That's very funny. My guy's name uh, was Black Shadow. I just wanted to tell somebody. Nice. What was his specialty? I think you know. Being a ninja. Intelligence. Oh. <laughs> which was Storm Shadow and nice. Snake Eyes' uh, specialty. He was kind of a ninja. Well done. What is, thank you. That actually did mean something. Yeah. What is the time in your life you've laughed the hardest? Before you panic, just remember, maybe you're a kid at the Oakwood with Leo. Maybe you're with your mom and one of you farted. How old are you? Who are you with? Did someone fall? Did someone poop their pants? (laughs) Are you on psychedelics? Are you stoned? Is it your Tobey Maguire story? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know a specific time when I've laughed the hardest. I've been really lucky to have a ton of laughter in my life. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem like you want for it. it We've had some laughs. It may well today. have been on drugs, but it was probably uh, with 
Brecken, honestly. Brecken Meyer is someone who cracks me up in a way that very few people do. Yeah. Um, And he also, we've we've had a lot of uh, private moments where we're just being incredibly silly and totally liberated in that way. And I found myself like laughing till I cried. Yeah. Um, I I feel like I've had a a good bunch of those kinds of moments. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. He's fun. I like him. He is. I saw him at the at the party where I met Johnny Favs. Oh, yeah. And Johnny Favs, he said hello to me. And I was like, I've made it. And then I, <laughs> that's, that's actually where it came from, where I was like, he can't work with Johnny Favs. And then you said he's doing that thing, and that's yes. why I brought it up. But that, guy's, that guy's the best. Like, we've, uh, I guess we have sort of worked together, because he's, he's come and done Robot, and we, we de- developed a, a show together. Um, for Quibi, uh, no shit. Coincidentally, yeah. Wow. But he's 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 such a special guy. Like such a. Uh, What's the name of the award for a good Quibi show? NBC. <laughs> NBC wins Quibis. Quibis win NBC. That's very funny. <laughs> I'm so curious about any of this. Is any of this going to last ten years? This episode? No, no, no. The any of this media, like as all this media converges, I am watch such a such a systemic change from having three and then four networks and HBO evolving into a premier subscription service that right. sets a pace for all of these other yes industries. It's I think we're about five years. That might be generous to something new. It might be VR, but I was watching. It doesn't matter what I was watching because I don't want to put down what I was watching. <laughs> But I was like, oh, TV's over. <laughs> like, I just had that feeling. I was like, we're done. We've done hyperconscious. We've done self-aware. We've done ironic. We've done mockumentaries. We've done this. My daughter is going to grow up in a world where she's like, what do you mean I'm not in it? What do you mean I'm not? I can't walk around the world. What do you mean I can't just go around the party? Like, you're saying, eyes wide shut there at a freaky party. Oh, that's cool. So I can walk around the house and, like, explore. Right. No, no, no. It's just where Tom Cruise is going. Well, that's dumb. It's going to be something new Mm. and it's coming because what's happening is there's so much of this. It's going to pop, not in a bad way. It's just going to be replaced with the next thing. I think it might be VR. Did you read Ready Player One? I saw the movie. It's very different. The the movie gets the feeling. The, The movie definitely gives anyone who hasn't read the book exactly the right introduction to this world and this concept yeah. and helps capture the sentiment of it's a better book it is a really great book because it's such movie. a personal experience the the, there's there's something sense. in the book that is about the 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 reality of friendships that form between people who've never met in person yeah um and the validity of those relationships because of what you've shared or how you relate there's a depth of connection that is beyond um, uh, shaking hands. Yeah. But it also makes the case for nothing being as emotionally valid as actual physical contact from another person. Interesting. So, you know, yes, the person that you've gamed with for hundreds of hours and who knows everything about you, in quotes, um, is, is, is important and emotionally resonant, but for someone to give you a hug... Yeah. is is um irre- well, that's irreplaceable that's interesting yeah yeah so i think vr won't necessarily take over reality for that very reason but it will make but i think it'll it make will movies. make reality a little less appealing it might <laughs> i think it'll definitely make movies and tv less appealing i'll try and show her the simpsons and she'll be like cool how do i i want to go turn on that sink 
Interesting. You, you can't. I wonder, though. I wonder if it's there'll just Back be a separation of those too. experiences. Yeah. What do you mean I got to use my hands? It's going <laughs> to be like, I, I, there's no way that you and I are going to be the first generation where our kids and young people are like, what you liked sucks. Yeah. No, <laughs> there's going to be something. That's everywhere. Everyone is yeah, like, yeah. That's what I mean. Trixie, Garcia, and what was yours? Oh, oh yeah. George George's Lucas's. kids. Yeah. The best. George's kids. Yeah. Shut up, Dad. Which I imagine as he walks. <laughs> this has been C three Pete Holmes. Uh <laughs> that can't be the first time you've said that. No, we had a t shirt and it, we got a cease and desist. <laughs> really? Toronto. For the name? It was a drawing, it was me with C three PO's body, yeah. and that's where you Well, because that's a trademarkable thing. Yeah. I had a look if a ma- if a Maasai warrior knows it. You know it has some brands. I had a long conversation with uh, the the woman that was in charge of the legal enforcement of all of their trademarks, who who basically organized the cease and desists and had everyone sign NDAs and explained the reason why, why they prosecute everything. And she talked about the global saturation of something like Star Wars and how if you let any one thing encroach on your trademark, then your trademark becomes worthless. worthless. And so It's like Calvin peeing on the Chevy symbol. Yeah. Yeah. So as much as you want to just let... No, People I, do what they're going to do. There are certain things. I wish that we are, could file paperwork and be like, I'm a fan. It's with respect. It's mm-hmm. not like, it's not a Wookiee smoking a joint and going right. like, <laughs> Millennium. But they, but they do a lot of that Millennium. too, where they'll see an artist who does something Star Wars related and they'll be like, come make that for us. Yeah. And they make it a product point for their own, for their own brand. What was that Family Guy joke? And the foresight to maintain... Like intellectual uh, or the merchandising rights. I, I asked him about that and I was like, you know, you ruined this for literally everybody. And he's like, yeah. Wait, yep. because he... Because he was smart he enough to secure the, movie, the licensing. He said, I'll take less money, but I want the licensing yeah. for, the, for the toys. And no one imagined that that was a thing, but it sustained his business for the entirety of it. Until and now no one can do that. No one gets the same piece of the pot like even yeah. if you invent the thing unless you completely self-finance and self-produce they it they did on the simpsons where uh crusty they lisa's negotiating we want 50 percent of the t-shirts and yeah. he goes oh that's the sweetest plum <laughs> and it's star wars yeah you're never gonna get that groaning uh well what fun man would you uh do you feel good yeah you want me to Dana Carvey this and stay no. for another couple hours? No, no. I'm not sure we hit the high point, Pete. I, <laughs> I'm not sure. Turtle, turtle. <laughs> uh, well, we end with the comedian. As I already referenced, this was such a delight. Thanks, I think, man. I think you're, you're aces. Oh, I, right on. I've never said that before. I love I've enjoyed your your comedic and dramatic offerings as yeah, well. But it's so fun when you meet somebody that's like <laughs> literally like plugged into their life, living their life, doing what they're supposed to be doing, not taking anything too seriously, and enjoying it, and being a yes handy guy and an interesting guy. Oh. And uh, I don't know, I'm giving you aces. Thanks, man. Two taped together aces, one red, one black. Your choice. Well, I had. Uh, well, I'll take them both. Okay. Uh, I had so much because I believe the duality is the spice of life. <laughs> uh, I. Uh, I had so much fun doing that thing on Corden. Yeah, that was fun. And I love, I think, I think over time I have unintentionally give, given people the impression that I'm too busy to participate. I was trying to, I'm not, I don't want to sound Machiavellian or anything, but I was like, boy, I, would, I sometimes say yes to those things. I'm like, it'd be nice to meet those people yeah. and then see if they'd do the podcast because this is how I hang out with people. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if Seth would do it. So I kind of like, laid the breadcrumbs flamethrower style in the conversation i was so touched that you wanted to do it yeah 
But I didn't want to be too schmaltzy. I, like, Please do a podcast. I love to play. It's always been my favorite thing. Like yeah. the thing that drew me into performing was the community of it, the collaboration of it, the the troop feeling. And I've yeah. always, I've never had the ego of needing to. I've never wanted. Like I hear people talk about getting into acting because they they need validation or they want the attention or they yeah. they want to see their name in lights or there's some kind of egotistical component to it and, and not in a in a derisive way just that seems to be their their um the thing that draws them whereas for me I love putting on a show yeah. I love <laughs> making the audience feel something right you know that's that's I feel my You're still the kid on the train talking to the business people yeah. That's my best magic trick is that I can I'm – I'm an empath that, that can make you feel something. Yeah. It's tough because I wind up feeling other people's whatever. Yeah. And that gets hard to cast off sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I also love this gift that I've got to make people feel something. And, right. I, and I try never to um, squander that or use my powers for evil. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, and evil that they even recognize. Well, so that but that James Corden thing was such a weird happenstance. I uh, well, that there was, was a, a that there was, was a there no. was an Emmy after party uh, that uh, that he hosted that I got invited to, and I went there and ran into his booker, and she was just we, we had a great conversation that night, and then she was like, "Hey, would you ever consider coming to do a sketch?" And I was like, "Literally anytime." Yeah, because I. Because I love that shit. Yeah. When else am I going to get to fucking play the Joker? No, I know. Right? I don't dress up for Halloween, but I got to be the It clown. Yeah, speaking of Very which, you, you are, who, weirdly, it's corrupted my, my brain, because I don't think about Bill Sarsgaard in that role anymore. Ah, All I think me. about is you. It was, it was, <laughs> it's a weird feeling to look in the mirror and scare yourself. Yeah. You're like, ah! I didn't yeah. like it. It was a lot of fun. It was really fun, and that was, it. well, you and I are similar in that regard, because I was like, this is not gonna quote do anything nobody cares. for me no but that's why i'm like we're back to your tattoo it's the process yeah enjoy it it is and when it started getting later and we were doing stunts and the makeup doesn't sweat very well <laughs> i was like something i say and i love saying it here eckhart tolle says the present moment is your life so whenever you're doing something that you don't like just remember that how you feel is how you feel about your life so readjust it don't you remember though how insane that they wrapped me before James. But even weirder than that, it was that <laughs> you and I in several incidents thought we were rehearsing. And we were And they rolling. were like, moving on. <laughs> I didn't even say the line. You have that confidence of like, okay, well, they're not going to move on unless they've got what they need. You and I are both used to rehearsing at least once. Yeah. And we came in and I'm kind of like sort of <laughs> saying the line. The actual sketch, which I watch, has me saying the line wrong. I know. <laughs> It's so funny. And they were like, we got it. Everybody's wig is coming off. Like, <laughs> Dude. We did that running after the car once. Yeah. And I was like, okay, now I, I know the movements. And they were like, no, we're moving on. <laughs> we all did it. Everybody tried to get in the vehicle. You, you sort of said the thing and we ran like it worked. <laughs> I sort of said the just, thing. Just, that's what it should say on my business card. Pete Holmes, actor. I sort of said the thing. That's, that's a tombstone if ever I, I heard sort of said I sort of said thing. the thing. Oh, that's good. Jeff Ross, uh, I, I went with him to the comedy store the other night, and he, he did a, a bit about um, wanting his headstone to be in the shape of a podium so that anybody could roast him anytime they wanted. Oh, that's fun. It's kind of brilliant. He also said that he'd been microdosing pizza, which I thought was genius. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. 
the roast joke there is Jeff, after you die, we'll forget you in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to your grave, you narcissist. <laughs> When's the last time you went to Rickle's grave just to roast him, you lunatic? I say that because he's sweet and he loves it. I yeah. love roasts. Anyway. Yeah. Get out of here. I will. Say keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. It's the catchphrase. Oh, is it? Do, would you, How you, have I missed that? Feel free to say no. I'd love it if you said it as Chris. <laughs> You should keep it crispy, because if you don't, it's going to be soft and floppy. But if you keep it crispy, then it's going to have some firmness and some shape, and nothing's better inside your mouth than something with a discernible texture. (laughs) One of the best ever. (laughs) Thanks, man.